My name is James Rowlands, and I am a lifelong wrestling fan. In 2015, I started a podcast with my friend, Dan White, reviewing the WWE Network and seeing if it's worth the $9.99 a month. It was. And since then, every month, we watch the latest WWE pay-per-views, NXT, and now 205 Live. Still continuing our journey through the network, watching ECW, WCW, and all its classic content. Until we've watched it all, we are with you, and we are the WNR. Yes, hello, I am James Rollins, and as always, I'm joined by... Dan White. And it is a very special episode today. The WNR podcast is going to do something a little bit different, because we are celebrating the craziest, the funniest, and the most ridiculous moments in wrestling history. It is the WNR 110 it's the rest is most ridiculous top ten. Uh, so, should we get started, Dan? Yes. Let's start with number ten. So, it's the 16th of January, 2009. At WWE's previous pay-per-view event, Armageddon, Jeff Hardy had defeated both defending champion Edge and Triple H in a triple threat match to win the WWE Championship. On the January the 2nd, 2009 episode of SmackDown, on-air authority, <coughs> on authority figure Vicky Guerrero announced that Edge would face Hardy for the WWE title at the Royal Rumble. In the weeks that followed, Jeff had a car crash, got attacked in a stairwell, even got his house burnt down. But we start the list with a moment from the 16th of January. Yeah, and it is this episode of SmackDown, and it's a very special cutting edge. And, of course, Edge hosting this will be facing Jeff Hardy coming up at the Royal Rumble. And we're going to see what Edge has to say in Jeff Hardy's. And, of course, this is the top ten. Now, we've worked very hard on this to go through all of history and wrestling and pick out these moments as well. And we hope everybody at home does enjoy it. But yes, number 10, we see Edge in the ring here, cutting edge. Does this go on your list of people scared by fireworks? Uh, this is why it's involved <laughs> for, because of course I love people getting scared by fireworks. And it's instant, anybody's never seen it before. Uh, we're going to see it now with Edge coming out here. But there's a, there a lot to choose from with ridiculous moments, like we say. So I just thought, I mean, 2009, were you watching WWE at this point, Dan? No, I was doing lots of drugs. You did lots of drugs. Well, 2009 is one of those weird moments where... It wasn't the greatest WrestleMania, WrestleMania 25, where it was this year. But this is just in the, like say, the January of this. So with Edge and Jeff Hardy as well, of course, massive success in tag teams against each other. Now going to go against each other for the chip. But the question was as well, who was the secret tormentor? Do you know what I mean? It must be Edge because we know the history of Edge, what he can do. Look, before Cesaro section, you had Hardy section. Exactly. <laughs> Fans and support. Edge just called him out. Here we go, it's Jeff. Look how great he looks. With that title belt around his waist. Yeah, all the fireworks going off now. Oh! oh. <laughs> Fucking hell, that went a bit wrong. <laughs> oh my God! The fireworks have just gone off! I'm Jeff Hardy. Oh my God, he's seriously injured, Dan. Oh my God, he might be dead. <laughs> he is. Oh, and, and the producer now running off backstage. Fans can't believe it. What's Jimmy Wang Yang out there for? <laughs> why, 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 why are they calling wrestlers out to help Jeff Hardy? Come on, Albert. Gregory, uh, Gregory Helms. They're not doctors. Uh, who hey, finally got a doctor? Finally, God. 
His face must be burnt. Now we know what Kane went through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe this happened to Kane when his first pyro. Oh, and his brother Matt's out there to help his brother. Oh, good. Matt's, Jeff. Ma- yeah, Matt's making sure Jeff's all right. I mean, this is a this is a serious voice. Sorry, this is a horrible accident that's just happened here. I mean, oh, here comes our oh, truth. Our truth. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. I mean, in, in a situation like this, you need our truth. Like, he needs to come out. And he, are you all right? Vicky Guerrero. Excuse me! Oh, my God. Is she the wench behind this, hmm? And where is Edge? Is he still in... Oh, there he is now with Vicky by his side. Looking on. Oh, I mean, guilty much? Hmm. Are we going to see a replay of this horrible accident? That firework just hit him square in the eyeball. Oh, my God. Dan, explain what we've seen now. Look at that. Oh, it's just like an explosion of fireworks right in Jeff's face. I mean, uh, <laughs> we see it from another angle here. and Oh, my God. It hits him square in the eye. Yeah. I mean, he might have third-degree burns here, you know. He, he needs to see Kane's specialist. And an eerie silence falls across the crowd as Jeff gets attended to by the uh, officials and... Multiple wrestlers there. <laughs> yeah, R-Truth and Gregory Helms helping him out. Jimmy Wang Yang there. And, of course, his brother Matt by his side. Well, Matt, it's just what brothers do. They're there for each other, aren't they? You know, always Brotherly love. Uh, and as everybody looks on shocked, yeah, that was a, a number 10 moment. Dan, what did you think of that shocking firework display? Well, it, it was uh, awful. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was ridiculous. Uh, right, so let's wrap this up then. So... Who was the secret tormentor, Dan? Well, during the match at the Royal Rumble, Matt came out to seemingly help his brother, only to reveal his true feelings by walloping his brother with a steel chair, costing him the WWE title. What? Jeff should have suspected all along, because Matt has done the same thing before. Yeah, so (laughs) that was was number 10 moment. We move on uh, to our number 9. And number 9 is... The Blue World Order. Since July 1996, Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie have been making parodies of various wrestlers from the WWF and WCW. In early 1996, Raven was forming a stable called Raven's Nest and was gathering new members to be lackeys. He called upon Stevie Amini, along with an independent former from New Jersey, Nova, Mike Bucci, uh, and these three would often come to the ring together for Raven made his entrance, imitating rock bands or pop cultural reference, most notably the Jackson 5, and at ECW's The Doctor is in, in August 1996, as the rock band Kiss. 
The later received a great ovation from the hardcore ECW fans before the Sandman abruptly entered the ring and caned them. <laughs> Backstage after the event, Bubba Ray Dudley told them how great it was, and the only thing greater would be a parody of the NWO. After clearing things with Paul Heyman and Raven, it was decided that they would form the BWO at the next big event, November to remember, 1996. Over the next few months, members were added and members left, just like the group they were imitating. Initially meant to be a one-off parody, the Blue World Order became immensely popular and elevated Richards to the main event level in ECW. Yeah, the height of the BWO success came at the third ECW pay-per-view, Barely Legal. The event saw the debut of the BWO Japan with members Takamichi Noku, Terry Boy and Dick Togo. And Big Stevie Cole was part of the three-way dance main event for the number one contendership for the ECW World title. And we've seen that on the podcast as well with our ECW pay-per-views last year. Just weeks after this event, Richards suffered a severe injury to his neck courtesy of Terry Funk and a metal guardrail which left him temporarily paralysed for over an hour. Despite initially announcing his retirement from pro wrestling, Richards would quickly make a U-turn and make his debut for World Championship Wrestling. However, neck problems persisted and it would not be long before Richards would have to undergo the first of many surgeries to rectify the damage he sustained. In July 1997, Nova had a match against Taz, in which Taz, <laughs> in which Taz vowed to kill the BWO. He squashed Nova, and although Meany and Nova continued to tag over the next few months, the BWO was indeed dead. Until 2005, at WWE's ECW reunion, ECW One Night Stand. Coming to the ring before Dudley Boys versus Tommy Dreamer in the Sandman match, the BWO was back. During their entrance, Joey Styles, laughing hysterically once they entered, said, If any gimmick never deserved to make a dime and made a buttload of cash, this was it. And the best part is, is they, CW, can't sue us because it's a parody. Well, on July 7th, 2005, the BWO reunited once again. This time to confront JBL since he sought out the Blue Meanie and punched him repeatedly after the Meanie had called him a backstage bully. Attacked by JBL caused Meanie to tear some recent stitches and bleed at one night's stand. Now, before we move on, we're going to do controversial characters later on in the year as well. We're going to look at this moment because JBL literally saw where Meanie was and it, it, look at it. Do you know, when it happened, like you couldn't really see anything. When you look back yeah. on it and you know it, you yeah. can see it and it is horrible. And especially with the recent stories with JBL and everything like this, you know. But we're not going to talk about the, the kind of controversial or anything like this. We're going to talk about the ridiculous ones. JBL then taunted the BWO and... For those of you who don't know who we are... Nobody knows who you are and nobody cares! That's my car! As I was saying, this is JBL! What? John Blue Lame Field! And this, ladies and gentlemen, is one of my co-secretaries of defense. Bash me! And I, of course, am the chief of staff. Blue Wheat! 
But each and every one of you might know the three of us better as the Blue World Order. Yeah, from ECW fame. That's a joke, right? A couple imitation wrestlers imitating wrestlers. You had the audacity to touch my personal property. I suggest you take your phony get it out of here. You will not embarrass me on my show. Oh, oh, oh embarrass you, JBL? You did a perfectly good job of embarrassing yourself at ECW One Night Stand. A total and complete of yourself. And you think we're a joke? You think ECW's a joke? Well, each and every one of these people know that every ECW superstar worked their tails off to make it a reality. And they know every time they chant ECW. to you. You know you're a joke. Your mama knows you're a joke. Your daddy knows you're a joke. That's why you were in ECW. You didn't want to flip burgers and bag groceries. That's why you were in there. And Blue Meanie, you stepped in the ring with a man and what happened? How many stitches? How many black eyes? Let me tell you something, you fat 300 pound blue hair Abe Lincoln wannabe. You can tie me to a tree and not whoop my ass in a week. Oh no, JBL, because you got your whip at ECW one night stand. Oh hell. JBL, I'm challenging you to a match so I can kick your tonight! Oh, wow, see nuts? Where, where, where? Somebody call a name list. That's all you ECW people want to do. You want to walk on my show, and this is my show. And you want to challenge me to a match? You fat little bitch. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You want a piece of me? Come to the learning tree, because this one is free. This led to Amini versus JBL match. Yes. Well, 7th of July, 2005, SmackDown. Now, the thing is as well, because of the JBL attack, Amini had every right to kind of get JBL in serious trouble, even with the authorities and people like this. Not the authority in WWE, of course. I meant police. And the way to make Amini better, or make him happier even, was to give him a match against JBL on SmackDown and give the BWA a little bit of limelight as well. So we're going to watch this match now as we see JBL's end. And look at that limousine, Dan. It's been look at it's been disfigured. It has. It's had a uh, BWO spray painted on it, just like NWO used to do to their victims. Now, do you know were you a fan of the BWO, Dan? I wasn't. No, I thought it was uh, a, a terrible parody. Well, it's not only that. It's just the blue meanie is this guy in himself could be on this list, and he's involved with this because just he's not the. Um, what should we say? He doesn't look like a WWE superstar. No, the only it. time I really enjoyed Blue Meanie is when he was with Gold Dust and he used to call him Mummy. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But aside from that, no, he was never fit to be a wrestler. So at this point, JBL had been the longest reigning WWE champion of all time because, of course, he won it in 2004, didn't he? Just losing the title. So after losing it to uh, John Cena, he, he's he gone on to a feud with the BWO. So, you know, uh, JBL, you a fan? Um, I was when he was part of the APA, but as JBL, no, I wasn't really much of a fan. No. Oh, here comes the BWO, they're taking over. Big Stevie Cool, and of course Novo as well. He is a fat little bitch, though. He, well, that's what JBL says, and look at his face paint as well, all blue. I mean, right? Do you know what I mean? I, again, it's just it's, it is ridiculous because of the whole thing, the BWO gimmick itself, and the kind of setting that it's in of a of a real situation being put in a wrestling way <laughs> as we start the match now. JBL with a big boot to Meanie's face. I mean, uh. <sighs> Can't see this being your uh, typical catch can style wrestling match. No, I think he'll hold his punches. He'll be right. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> and JBL with a punch in the corner. And after what happened as well, it's kind of disturbing watching this, isn't it? You know what I mean? In a weird. It is. Yeah. Do you think like you know that people that have been in a backstage feud and feud and had a bit of beef backstage should be together in the ring? Well, sometimes it doesn't work, does it? You know, it just yeah. it looks like horrible wrestling as we see JBL throwing. Meanie to the outside, and the blue guy's in serious trouble here. <laughs> JBL bounces Meanie's head off uh, the announce table there, but Meanie, I mean, he, he come through ECW, so he, you know he should have a bit of a hardcore background, surely. Yeah, well, don't call me Shirley, but yeah, indeed, he should uh, have that on his side. Of course, we talk about how the BWO were a big thing in ECW. You know, they were extremely popular as well, uh, and it just it just didn't. It didn't have the appeal because obviously the NWO didn't go on. It went on for too long as well. The BWO probably had the same feel to it. Bringing back here, I think this is just being brought back to help them in this situation with uh, with JBL. But in the match so far, it doesn't look, <laughs> just mean he's getting much offence in. No, you know, it's all been JBL. I mean, bouncing his head off the announce table, bouncing his house, uh, his head off the ring steps. You're just completely going over on Blue Mean, I think. But do you think, you know, after coming off a long title run, losing to John Cena and then going against the Blue World Order, you think this is uh, good for JBL? Uh, no, it's not, is it? You know, but I, I, <laughs> it's not, but I've never really liked JBL anyway, especially JBL character. It got me so angry, especially when he was W champion, because I thought he didn't deserve it. He looked at Meany the way I looked at JBL. I thought, you don't deserve, not be here, but you don't deserve to be for the championship. You don't deserve that kind of level. The JBL feuding with... Uh, People like the Boogeyman and stuff like that. That's oh, that the kind of level he's got awful, now. Do you know uh, what I mean? He he was champion. He was never going to be champion again. It's like those one-time champs, isn't it? You know, you, you like Jinder Mahal. As soon as he loses that, he, I don't think he'll ever be W champion again. Yeah. And now look at Meanie coming back. Well, I say trying to. Oh, swinging neckbreaker by JBL completely stops Meanie's uh, <laughs> his uh, little run there, and he takes out. Nitro, whatever his name, Nova, and now Stevie Richards comes in and joins the fray. But why is the ref not stopping this? Well, Big Stevie calls in a bit of trouble. I didn't like Stevie Richards either. I thought he was a tit. Well, Stevie Richards had a little bit of success, didn't he, with the right to censor? But you know, next year Michaels, he was never was. Was the only the only similarities that they had the same finisher, super kick. As now a chair's got involved and JBL's thrown Stevie Richards in, and he big boots. I don't know if this is ridiculous. It's just offensive, isn't it? It's just bad. Oh! Stevie didn't hold back with that chair shot. Unprotected chair shot to the head. A 
planting DVD, uh, planting DDT by the blue meanie. And where is the meanie going? Oh no! No! Oh! oh Moonsault off the top. One, two. two. Oh. oh! I thought it was over then, but JBL managing to kick out. Oh! And JBL's busted wide open. Yes, that is a very real chair shot to the head by Stevie Richards there. Now Orlando Jordan coming in to try and help his partner JBL. Yeah, but no. help his boss JBL. But Nova's got hold of Orlando Jordan. Here comes Stevie now. Oh, my God. Clothesline from hell there. Oh, uh, Batista. <laughs> yeah. It's the JBL there from Batista. I mean, where did he come from? <laughs> come out of the crowd. The world heavyweight champion. Pulls Meanie on top of JBL. No! And the blue Meanie beats the former heavyweight champion. I mean, that's <laughs> almost as ridiculous as Jinder Mahal beating Randy Orton in it, really. I know. And on SmackDown, I mean, JBL and Batista will go on to feud for the world heavyweight title a little bit. But blue Meanie beats JBL. What did you think of the match, Dan? Uh, it was ridiculous. It was awful. It was terrible. Um, you know, the only thing that was real about it was JBL's hatred of Blue Meanie, I think. I know. But I'll tell you something, that this ridiculous list is only getting better. Because up next at number eight, we've got K-Fed. <laughs> Do you know the only good thing that K-Fed has done? What? Britney Spears. Hey. I'd like to formally introduce myself. I'm the talk of the town. That's the reason why they stare. Ball carrots in my head. If you look, see a glare. I'm one of a kind with a wonderful rhyme. I'm skating off in a Rory. You'll get left behind. My rap's fully automatic like an AR. Dropping nothing but heat. Me and JR. I'm living life in the fast lane. He's the guy best known for marrying Britney Spears and becoming rich from the divorce. In a world where men are championed as hunters and gatherers, K-Fed became the, of a slimy opportunist is a regular on lists like business pundits, 12 millionaires who don't deserve their fortunes. He was the bad boy who seemed to have corrupted America's sweetheart, the flashy earrings, basketball sneakers, and seemingly misguided urban flavour were all implications of a phony and natural agitator. While still married and directly tied to arguably the biggest pop star in the world, very arguably... Fedline somehow landed in WWE in October of 2006 to promote his insufferable Playing With Fire rap album. That is, I don't know if you've ever heard it, because oh, I haven't. It's one of my favourite albums. I've got it on my iTunes. Yeah, I've shuffled all the time. Yeah. So we're moving on now to the 1st of January 2007, and we are going to have John Cena, the WWE champion, going against Kevin Federline. <laughs> Dan, does it get any more ridiculous, eh? We'll see what happened earlier tonight. This whole beating Randy Orton, no, it doesn't get more ridiculous than this, James. Well, earlier tonight on Raw, John Cena wanted to finish K-Fed. Umaga got involved. And Cena there, he's, you know, he's getting a lot of cheers back in 2007. I mean... He's definitely got the kids on side. Uh, you know, I think he's gone through his, his harshest critics now, where it was like, you know what I mean, end of... Uh, Beginning of 2005 through... No, not even that. Beginning of 2006 and that period there. When he was going against Edge. Yeah, that's when the fans were yeah. against because they, they hated him at that point. 2006. Yeah, so he's he's gaining respect now, isn't he? So he's been there a couple of years. Still hustle, loyalty, respect. And uh, John Cena wants to take on K-Fed here tonight. And we started off the show with it. I mean, yeah, what a way to start a new year off, eh? I think Kevin Fedline is a cunt. Well, I think he's a, a, a global superstar, you know. 
I think you're a cunt as well. <laughs> Look at that, coming out of his boxing robe. We've seen this. He loves the crowd's adulation. He's just like John Cena. He's just a little bit smaller. They would have been a great tag team. To put it into perspective, I think John Cena's a better rapper than Kevin Fedline. Well, he's on the mic now. K-Fed's got some news for Cena. Hey, Cena! I got some news! You see, I was just talking to Coach, man. And there's been a little change in our match. Uh-oh. See, I don't want nothing stopping me from beating your ass. Uh oh, Aaron. <laughs> so tonight, it's gonna be a no DQ, no disqualification, anything. And now that I've said that, let me introduce my personal trainer and friend, Johnny Nitro! I think that favours K-Fed. So he's saying it's going to be a no DQ match. I mean, Cena, you better watch your ass. Sorry, you're talking about Super Cena. So at least K-Fed's got someone in his corner. You know, he's going to get Cena. There's not that much in height. I don't know about the weight. Maybe £100. But I think K-Fed... I mean, predictions for this. I think K-Fed's going to fuck Cena up. Cena, all day long. You see Miami, home of great superstars like The Rock. And now K-Fed's there against Cena as well. Dan, this is once in a lifetime. You do Thank really fuck, it's only once. <laughs> oh, very, he protects his hands, you see? He doesn't want to break, you know what I mean? Like, when he's holding the mic, he doesn't want to damage his, 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 his knuckles. Here we go. Oh, for fuck's sake. What? You like it when wrestlers take ages to do something, don't you? Well, K-Fed now. Headpiece on. Here we go. Referees rang the bell. We hear the cheer at the bell for this, Dan. How many matches do you hear that, Will? So you're not saying you can have one hit. gone. Free shot on me. Oh, and he's gone in for the hold, and K-Fed's got Cena now. Look at that. That's a huge side headlock. Cena's in all sorts of trouble. Have it picks Fed line up and just tosses him off. <laughs> K-Fed lands on his hands, and he's safe. He's all right. Goes to the corner again to get some advice from Nitro. Oh, yeah, you want advice from Nitro. Yeah, that's a, what? That's good, good advice. Johnny Knight's saying, okay, duck, dodge, dive. Oh, he's now removed the gloves that he took so long to put on. Gloves are off now, so it's serious business. Come on, collar and elbow tie up. Wait a minute. Knight just got the chair. Johnny Knight tries sliding the chair in. Well, it's no disqualification, so anything goes. And, and look at K-Fed cracking his knuckles. A master lock challenge. Well, that's what he wants to do. Yeah, Cena sits on the chair. K-Fed's going to get him a submission. This might be Cena over and done with. Of course, uh, he is no Chris Masters. Going for the full Nelson now. Means is he? He goes for this, and he's got Cena. Cena in all sorts of trouble. He looks like he's going to tap out. Oh yeah, you could tell that by the look on his face. Oh, okay, maybe not then. <clears throat> Cena's being just as much of a dick as Fedline is for just <laughs> fucking longing this out. Which <laughs> is just f you him and finish it. Yeah, he's got him. Look at that. He's got John Cena down. He took down John Cena. Got him in the armbar. He's going to make Cena tap out. He's got K fed up. Oh. Sits him on the top rope and then leaves him there. Yeah, nice little uh, slap, the little tap to the face. Saying, That's what I got you. Here comes Nitro. Oh. He gets thrown to the outside. Well, Nitro's taking a bigger bump than K-Fed as tonight. And John Cena. Oh, Ooh, and, he... and Fedline from behind kicks Cena in his 
big bulbous testicles. <laughs> Easy fella. And Cena picks up K-Fed onto his shoulders. Is after, he going to F you? After a low blow. Oh, here comes... Oh, my word. Umaga with Armando Estrada. And they're going to vie for the W title with New Year's Revolution in just a couple of days' time. And Umaga now, look at this, beating. Of course, no disqualification. Anything goes. And I think... <laughs> Referee there trying to get involved. I think Umaga just sends him on his way. And now Umaga has got the WWE Championship belt. He's going to take it home with him, is he? No, he's going to make Cena wear it on his forehead. And now there's a big WWE etched in Cena's forehead there. And Umaga happy with his work. And John Cena is down. Umaga knocked him out with a title belt. And K-Fed. Going for the cover. No. One, two, three. And Federline has just beaten John Cena. I mean, there's only one fickless in this moment. James, do you want me to tell you what that is? Uh, what, what is that, Dan? That is Jinder Mahal beating Randy Orton for the heavyweight championship. K-Fed beating seems less of a shock than Jinder Mahal beating Randy Orton. K-Fed said he was going to beat up John Cena tonight. Look at the state of Cena. Cena's out of what K-Fed has done. But the night... Is not yet over, Dan. There is still more excitement to come. There's more to come. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Because the people obviously don't like John Cena because he is in a four-on-one handicap main event tonight, and I'm not making that up. So Estrada, Coachman, Nitro, and Umaga. I mean, that's a team to be scared of, isn't it? It is the dream team. K-Fed's coming out here again. We've already seen him once. That was more than enough. (laughs) He's getting his money's worth here tonight. The man who beat John Cena in his very first wrestling match. That is K. No one can say that. Hey, K fed's on commentary. Thought we want to. Yo, 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 yo. And the only man more annoying than K fed is Jonathan fucking Coachman. Uh, oh, we should make a list of who is the best wrestler we're going to see tonight. Because at the moment, we see JBL, the Blue World Order. Cena coming out straight off the box. He's got a bit of a feud going on with uh, Umaga. He has, and he dodges that blow from Umaga, and Coachman goes to hit him from behind. Oh. Fucking hell, John Cena like a house on fire, but Umaga hasn't been beaten in the WWE yet as he pushes Cena off. So this is fair, isn't it? Four on one. Here we go. And uh, Cena low bridges Umaga. He goes straight to the outside. And now it's uh, Nitro in. Well, K-Fed loving it on commentary as well. Cena back up low. Oh, knocking the taste out of Nitro's mouth. Ooh. Lovely underhook suplex there by Cena. Nitro. Oh. Throws him straight into the ring post. And now Umaga's back with a big Samoan drop. Oh, my God. Might have flattened Cena's insides. Happy with that. Tag Coachman. Come on. Tag Estrada in. Coachman gets in pinned Cena, then then in one night it would mean that Cena's been pinned by K Fed and Jonathan Coachman. <laughs> Who else can say that? You need Michael Cole to come out and beat John Cena as well, and then you can have it. Oh, but Cena lifeless body thrown into the corner. Michael's gonna squash him. Fasamoa. Oh. oh but Cena manages to get the knees up and uh hits Umaga in his uh Unmentionables. He does. And now he's taking Johnny Nitro down with a clothesline. Throws. Coach in. Throws Estrada in. Takes down Nitro. I've seen about 80 clotheslines already tonight. Oh. oh. 
goes low on Umaga. FU on uh, STFU on Umaga. Middle of the ring, nowhere to go. He's going to tap out. Oh, no. Estrada in with a chair, but he gets kicked to the midsection by Cena. He gets hit by the chair himself. Oh, oh. chair shot to the head of Umaga, but the big beasts don't go down. Oh, the second one, but still lands on his feet on the outside. Oh, but Nitro from behind. Can Cena see him? Got him up. Boom. F you to Nitro, but he rolls to the outside of the ring. And he's just coach <laughs> left standing and... Uh, He's got a snowball's chance in how against Cena. He might reverse this FU, Dan. You never know. That's the lightest FU I've ever seen. And now we're Cena going. Oh! oh he grabs K-Fed. <laughs> Beat him, Cena. Beat him. Go on, my son. He's got K-Fed up. FU. Go on. Hit him. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> FU, K-Fed. And John Cena there. He don't care about a pinfall victory. I think he's just happy that he's FU'd an annoying twat. You said earlier Super Cena. I can't see that, you know. He just beat five guys there. <laughs> I don't know what you mean there. <laughs> exactly. Moving swiftly on. Yes. I mean, things can only get better from they here. They can indeed. Number seven. Well, there was a lot to choose from in WCW. But in the noughties, this actually happened. It was a Judy Bagwell on a pole match. Yes, you did hear me right. I did say Judy Bagwell pole match. And it was WCW New Blood Rising, the 13th of August. There is no doubt about it, when a gimmick match is presented, it is going to be special. The same can't be said to an item in pole matches. There is just something about these pole matches that reeks of absolute suckness. I think it's unanimous that whenever an item in a pole match would come up, it's bound to be... Yeah, and the um, the talent in pole matches are always rather bland, or no matter how good the wrestler is, they can never accomplish anything good in a pole match. There is one man that is synonymous to item in pole matches. The man that built the Vince McMahon-Austin feud. The man who created D-Generation X. And the man who created edgy storylines that helped launch the Attitude Era. Yeah. Yes, none other than my Twitter friend, Vince Russo. Yeah, and the man definitely has item on a pole fetishes because he was still in charge. He created someone of the worst, if not worst item on a pole matches ever. I, I'm going to love... Right, so it's a personal... Judy Bagger on a pole. That is technically a pole match since the woman was in a fault lift. But let's not get technical about this situation, Dan. <clears throat> I will say this, though. Vince Russo may be one of the best minds in wrestling... But that brain was filtered by Vince McMahon and given his seal of approval. Now, if ever a seal was broken, they immediately send it back to the factory. When Russo was in WCW, all the seals were broken and they served these ideas to fans. Uh, Tainted or not, 
is left to the fans who witnessed some of the most painful wrestling angles to come from a promotion. In a Judy Bagwell on a pole is one of those broken seals that has been served to fans. The match was between Positively Canyon and Buff Bagwell, who are in the middle of a heated rivalry. Uh, to intensify the feud, Canyon began to stalk Buff's mother as a form of mental mind game. Canyon then kidnapped a Buff's mother, <laughs> Buff's mum, and this led us to hear a Judy Bagwell <laughs> on a pole match. Hyping the match was several promos where Buff Bagwell was looking for his mother and eventually... Positively, Canyon came out first, driving Judy Bagwell in a forklift. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Just to look at what... I kid you not. Positively, Canyon, there he is. If you know Chris Canyon. So Canyon then said, everybody knows that this match is supposed to be a Judy Bagwell on a pole match. But I searched, I searched this entire second-rate country of Canada... But after searching this entire godforsaken country, I couldn't find a pole that would hold that big fat battle axe, Canyon explains in his promo. And now we see Bagwell losing his shit and coming out here now, Dan. Uh, here comes Buff Bagwell. <laughs> see, look at that precarious position Judy Bagwell's in as, as Buff's out here beating up Chris Canyon. Were you a fan of Chris Canyon or Buff Bagwell, Dan? I was more of a fan of Buff Bagwell than I was of Chris Canyon. You see, I'm the other way around. I think Chris Canyon is quite... Um, Innovative, I can't say the fucking word. Well, I'm buff, and I'm the stuff, and the girls can't get in Yeah, I know, but, you know, I do want to, uh, I'm just a bit more muscle than anything else. But I think with Canyon, he was good. He come up with a lot of his own moves as well. Uh, a bit underrated, I feel, but, of course, had an untimely death like he did. Buff Beggles had a lot of success now as a male stripper, so everything's fine with him. As the Irish rips Canyon to ringside. Of course, this is WCW in 2000, so they had nothing to lose. They were going against the Attitude Era. <laughs> so, you know. They had nothing that they could possibly lose. No, not at all. This was going against the first TLC match in WWE history at SummerSlam. Kurt Angle, Triple H, Rock main event. This was what WCW had to offer. And Judy Bagwell's up on the pole looking petrified. Buff Bagwell there with a nice swinging net breaker. Now he's got Canyon in the corner, just wailing down on his head with some big right hands. Do you know an interesting thing about Judy Bagwell? She once rang WWE in to say Buff Bagwell couldn't make it to work. And J- JR said if it ever happened again, then they'd fire both on the spot. Bagwell didn't last long after that. Oh, and Canyon there with a low Side blow. Side Russian reg- leg sweep as well off the uh, second rope. Yeah. And you said this match was going to be awful, John. Well, I'm just saying, well, that was a high-impact move. But there you go, it's Canyon again, isn't it? Bringing his style in, in there. I mean, there must be hundreds of people watching this event here. Oh! At least tens. So he's going for the cover. So it's the first man to obviously win by pinfall, and then they'll be able to bring their mum down, I suppose. And Canyon's got a suplex buff. Oh! A big, high elevated suplex there. Eh? A delayed vertical suplex, as you will. And Chris Canyon, at this point in time, just turned on his longtime friend, Diamond Dallas Page, as well. So he's been going through a change of personality as he's. What's he looking for now? He's got a pair of pliers. And now he's cutting off the top ring buckle. Or oh, the padding protection there from the top ring rope. To leave the metal... Why don't he use the fucking cutters and cut his well, ear off? I thought, yeah, just use that as a weapon. But he's got the uh, turnbuckle pad. There you go, bad turnbuckle pad. You were oh, saying? Awful. You were saying? Back <laughs> <laughs> well. Now, the corner. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, but Canyon there comes in, catches him. Is he going to go for an Alabama slam? Oh! Oh, Turns it into a set-up powerbomb. Goes for the cover, but Bagwell managing to kick out. 
Ah. Judy, don't move. The fork truck's moving as well, love, all right? Stay where you are. I want to see Buff springboarding on top of the fork truck platform <laughs> to save his mum. I don't think we'll be seeing any of that. I think Ray would do it. <clears throat> we had Daniel Bryan come off a forklift truck at um, Extreme Rules 2014. Oh, and now look at Buff Bagwell. He's, he's fighting back. He's, his mum is on the line here, Dan. This is how personal it's got. We're going to see a lot of personal things here tonight, but a kidnapping of a mother is up there, isn't it? But um, correct me if I'm wrong, but an item on a pole match is normally held up in the corner and you have to go up into the corner turnbuckle and get that item off the top of the pole, then you win the match. Yes. Or you can use that item to your advantage, like a Singapore cane on a pole match, and so on and so forth. And no, that's not an Asian cane, by the way. <laughs> but how would you... A, how would you climb up on top of the forklift truck? Would you have to lower it? And can you use Judy Bagwell as a weapon? I, I mean, she's I, big and she'd be able to sit on someone. It's Chris Canyon using her up. I think that could happen. Uh, but I, I don't know about you, but I feel the platform keeps going down as well. Maybe her on it is... The, she well, would the, eventually, the hydraulics she in the forklift be, truck are on their way out. She'll be eventually on ground level, you know, <laughs> so it won't be that difficult. Well, the longer this match goes on, the lower she gets and it's easier to get her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what level you're at, as uh, Chris Canyon not only put the fans to sleep, he's putting Buff Bagwell to sleep at this moment in time. Uh, can Buff fight out of it? You can look up a serious like, wrestling match. Oh, Ooh, a swinging neck breaker there by Canyon. Taking Buff down. Two. Oh. So is Judy Bagwell the reward? for this match yes I mean she's the one who it's all about you know a pers- oh, I'd lose on purpose then she <laughs> Puff Becker wants to be united with his mum oh and Canyon's going to go for the uh, the Canyon cutter as he's stolen the finish with the DDP but he goes stern and first into the top turnbuckle there and then Buff Bagwell lifts him up face first into the top turnbuckle which of course Canyon exposed earlier it's come back to haunt him goes for the cover oh, oh. but Canyon managing to kick out oh that would knock a lesser man out by Bell saying, come on. No, <laughs> no, no one is coming with you. Judy's a blocker, isn't she? As we see her. Oh, no. Canyon cutter on Bagwell. This is it. One, two. Oh. Bagging to kick out of the diamond cutter. Ah, uh, cutter. Honestly, couldn't believe I am shocked. So Canyon's kicked out. Of the uh, head first into the top turnbuckle, and now comes DDP. It's not DDP. I know, but shush, it's not. Kidding. It's David Arquette. It's David Arquette. Oh my! The former fucking... WCW champion. A moment in time that we're not going to watch it tonight. But as it's a distraction now to Canyon, David Arquette is out here. This brings everything that we ever wanted in WCW at this point in time. Oh wait a minute. Oh. And he hits Buff Bagwell on the back with a hard hat. Oh. oh. Nearly causing him the vict- uh, causing him the loss. Oh, God. Of course, da- David Arquette's had a history of uh, getting on DDP's nerves as well. As now, Irish whipping Arquette. Oh, wait. Can well, you Irish whip Bagwell into Arquette, but... And the only good thing that David <laughs> Arquette's done is marry Courtney Cox. Oh, Bagwell got in. It's weird that we've seen these back-to-back, aren't we? K-Fed and David Arquette. I think Arquette had a little bit more talent. He just got clotheslined there. Yeah. Don't forget Judy Bagwell is on a damn polo. Here we go, Buff. Uh, I think you'll find this a forklift truck. Blockbuster. Double. Double blockbuster there. Two. Three. Yeah. 
this. And Buff Bagwell wins his mum. He got his mum. It's a beautiful moment. It's a moment remembered in wrestling history here. The day Bagwell... <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if he was going to get it down? Bagsley Lock drove forward. <laughs> just impaled. <laughs> Tilt forward. And yeah. <laughs> I think she's actually tied. Oh, yeah, she tried. That is safe. And he's bringing her down. Oh, what a moment in time this is. Reunited and it feels so good. Oh, my God. I got a lump in my throat here. I got a lump in my pants over Judy <laughs> Bagwell. <laughs> there we go. Mum and son reunited and it is a moment in time. So, Dan, what did you think of that? Well, there is a thing that I find more ridiculous than this match, James. And do you want to know what that is? What is that, Dan? That is Jinder Mahal pinning Randy Orton for the heavyweight championship. Well, now Canyon and Arquette saying, oh, it doesn't matter, they're going to hug, nothing's going to happen here. Oh, wait. <laughs> Canyon cutter to Arquette. I mean, after getting a blockbuster off Bug Bag- Buff Bagwell, he gets a Canyon cutter as well. I mean, he should have stuck to acting. This is what WCW offered in 2000. It, it, it's too much of a gold mine. I could have had the 10, I could have had the top 10 in WCW in 2000, but again, it's not fair. <laughs> so we move on to number six. And number it, six. Number six. And The Undertaker has had a lot of weird matches from caskets to cages, but I don't think anything was weirder than their concrete crypt match. So we go to the WWE Great American Bash 2004. June the 27th. Choke slam! Yeah. Undertaker with authority and he says that's it! Put a nail whoa, in the whoa, coffin! Whoa, whoa, Wait a minute! Whoa, 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 whoa! Paul Heyman, what the hell is he doing here? When I decided to motivate the Dudley boys, I had no idea how far they would go. I mean, to abduct Paul Bearer? To take control of the urn? I gotta admit, I'm impressed! Hey, wait a minute! Oh, hey, look out! Oh, hey, I knew hey, it! What are you doing? Say your prayers, Paul! Hey, Done! Start hey, begging! Hey! Hey! Come on! Hey! I had nothing to do with what hey, happened no, no, no. to Paul Bearer! Take I her. can help you! Are you gonna do it or not? I wouldn't. If I was you, I'd listen to the man. Then again, you do what you wanna do. Paul Bearer is right behind this door. And if you ever want to see him again, I'd listen to Heyman. Choice is yours. and me together we'd be unstoppable which is why I'm going to give you a week to make the right decision join us or you will never see Paul Bearer again 
Think of it this way. After all these years, The Undertaker doesn't have Paul Heyman by the throat. Paul Heyman has you by the throat. Paul Heyman told the Dudleys to make an impact. As part of the storyline, the Dudleys responded by abducting Paul Bearer, The Undertaker's manager. The following week, Heyman told The Undertaker that the only way he would ever see Bearer again was to align himself with the Dudleys. And two weeks later, on the June 17th episode, a handicap match between the Dudleys and The Undertaker was booked for the Great American Bash. With the stipulation being if The Undertaker lost, as part of the scripted events, Paul Bearer would be cemented in a glass crypt. Yep, you heard that right. Yes, you did. Eventually, he would be killed on screen here at the Great American Bash. We've seen a lot in wrestling, but a live death is something we have never seen. And we have to go to 2004, this SmackDown-only main event, as we see The Undertaker's chilling entrance. To be fair to SmackDown, this is not entirely their fault, because SmackDown at the time was doing quite well of 2003, but in 2004 they had a lot of problems. They had Brock Lesnar deciding to up and leave the WWF after WrestleMania. He went away. He was on a smack. He was the SmackDown's face, 2002-2003. You had Kurt Angle getting injured as well and not be able to wrestle for a few months, so he had to take some time off. Of course, with the Undertaker, who was getting on a little bit, Eddie Guerrero at that point in time was struggling under the weight, literally, of the WWE Championship as well, and he wanted to pass that on. So they had to rely on people like the Dudley Boys. And, of course, Paul Heyman, who was general manager at the time. And we're getting a demonstration now what Heyman's doing. And there's Paul. But hi, Paul. You're right. You're sitting in the concrete. Uh-oh. Oh. That's cement going in there. It's going to fill his legs. He's going to won't be able to move. This was Bubba's and Devon. This was the Dudley's last big feud in WWE. They decided to, uh, to leave shortly after this. I think you can see why. I think the Dudley's accomplished everything to accomplish in WWE. Yeah, but the stipulation being, if The Undertaker lost, Bearer would be cemented in a glass crypt, so he wouldn't want to lose, he'd want to win. Heyman saying to him, if you join the right side with me and the Dudleys, we could create history together. I could be your new manager. Imagine Undertaker being managed by Paul Heyman, Dan, you know? Ah. That's the opportunity he's getting given here. I mean, the Dudleys, what's not ridiculous about this? I mean, it's just it's two on one. They want him to lay down so he can kill his manager. I mean, <laughs> it's quite... Lay down, let us kill your manager on live TV. And not give these fans a main event that they've all paid for. Come on. This is a pay-per-view as well, can I just say? It's not SmackDown. It's not SmackDown, it's not a Raw, no. it is a pay-per-view. Yeah, I think this is our first pay-per-view. I think the, Jeff, the, the fireworks on SmackDown, weren't they? K-Fed was on Raw. Oh, sorry, the, the Judy Bagwell on the pole match was WWE pay-per-view. Indeed but... it was, yes. <laughs> Who could forget that? <laughs> Who could forget that? Here we go. I remember watching this live, and do you know one thing I remember? How bad it was. This is awful. It's one of Untaker's worst matches. And I know you say casket matches. I looked at casket matches. Is that even as bad as the match you had against Heidenreich? I I look at Heidenreich like versus Michaels at WrestleMania compared to this. You know, this this is. It's like two King Kong Bundys versus the Untaker. It's awful. I might be different looking back on it, but it's just. It's so stupid. You know, It, it really is. It borderlines the offensive, uh, the offensive and Undertaker throws Bubba and Dave on the outside. And the tables have been destroyed, obviously, in previous matches there. Yeah? Undertaker right hand to Devon. Can he take down 
can the number one on the WNR 50 take down number two on the WNR list of tag teams of all time, Dan? Indeed, yes. You know, the recently return and recently leaving Dudley boys who were just jobbers when they... Yes. Unlike the Hardy boys who came back and won the titles. And now the Undertaker's got control of Devon. Well, when Dudley's came back, they got the Ascension and Hardy's came back, they got Cesaro and Sheamus. So, you know, it's only, only fair. Bit of old school now. Oh, my God. Undertaker's going for old school and Heyman said, bad dog. And that is more concrete. Dan, I'm not a builder. I'm not going to lie to you. How long does concrete take to set? That amount, probably about 48 hours. 48 hours. So he could still, could he escape this unharmed still if he wasn't fully covered? Uh, he'd be able to escape unless it was up to, I suppose, like, you know, if it was above his nose, then he'd be dead because he'd just suffocate. But <laughs> at this moment in time, he's quite all right. He's not really, I mean, he's a bit. Well, unless he couldn't stand up. I mean, Bear is not in the best of shape. I mean, I'm oh, not... no, certainly not. Maybe you have to break down the... Uh... But if you cracked one of the glass walls yeah, of the exactly, chamber... Yeah, do it like that. But, oh, distraction again. And the Undertaker getting uh, hung up on the ring post. The, the concrete crypt is still getting filled up with concrete. It would have made more sense if Kane was Undertaker's tag team partner as well. I'm just saying. I know Kane was doing his own thing in uh, 2004... He'd just been feuding with the Undertaker, so he probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He said, that's probably why he wasn't teaming up, because they had just been feuding. But regardless of that, surely Don't call me Shirley. you would come together if your father's life was on the line, you know? Indeed. Much like they do on the Arrowverse. But anyway, not talking about that, we're talking about this fantastic match. The longest that we've had so far, you're welcome. Undertaker catches Bub and a big DDT. Well, and Devon comes in. I mean, is this... Uh... A one-on tag, or is it a two-on-one handicap match? Because there doesn't seem to be any tagging going on. The referee's not doing anything about it. <laughs> no, he's not. I'm taking backdrops. Devon, well, I think with general manager in the background as well, calling how it goes. I think he's, might, you know, referee's a little bit worried, maybe. Oh, here comes the Undertaker. And that's what he's going to do, try and beat up Paul Heyman. Oh, yeah, you do it. Kill him. Again, a Heyman distraction there. Stopping Undertaker in his tracks as Bubba Ray comes from behind. Oh, no! But even though The Undertaker's... Oh, even Bubba's saying no. Oh, no. <laughs> Bear is saying, hurry me. Oh, my God, he's going to die. This is the edible bearer. You, WWE have the gall to have a go at WCW for all these stupid moments. And look, this is gold here, isn't it, you know? Well, um, you know, not to point any fingers, but uh, Paul Heyman... He's involved. I'm sure he had a bit of input yeah, in this. input. Unless it was the rib on Heyman. They were like, right, you do this one, so then you can never say you're fucking all good. <laughs> but Bubba seeing the light and saving Paul Bearer there. But look at this now. It's up to his chest. I mean, that must cave it, it in. seems to have gone down a bit. But the, the immense pressure on his chest, yeah, I'm sure it's, uh, it's causing him a lot of discomfort, especially a man of that size. I mean, you know. Unable to breathe and feel them huge lungs of his. Exactly. And the Undertaker is in big trouble with the Dudleys using the still steps. And he's saying to Bubba, look, I've let you beat him up for 10 minutes. Why don't you just get in your corner? Uh, well, the Dudleys tonight trying to cement their legacy. But I don't think the Undertaker is going to let them here. Glorious. Oh, here comes the Undertaker now. Fighting back against Devon. Beautiful combination, right and right and left. But, oh. Dave on there with a nice corkscrew uppercut taking Undertaker down. Oh. Only getting a one count, though. One. 
And these fans have already enjoyed JBL beating Eddie Guerrero for the WWE Championship, you know. So what more could they want? Yeah. I mean, they'd be less dissatisfied with a fucking JBL against Blue Meanie match. Yeah, exactly, yeah. K-Fed special guest referee, but no, Bubba, big elbow. Look at Heyman, look at him. That stupid look on his face. Bubba not looking as great wrestling shape here, is he, you know? <laughs> I don't think he ever has. Uh, no, Billy Ray... He got in shape, but yeah. I don't think, yeah, we've ever really seen it in WWE. Tacking Undertaker while the referee's back's turned. Oh, look how look how much the fans are into it. Oh, my God, look at that shot. It's just <laughs> underneath Bearer's neck now, the concrete. His necks, his chins. His chins, yeah. <laughs> if he didn't have eight chins, he'd be in serious trouble right now. Yeah, that looks like it's a lot harder than it yeah, is. Yeah, it looks like it's... <laughs> oh, well, we'll see what trickery they do. Undertaker get front to the outside. No, I remember it right. It was a bag of shit, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a crypt of shit. It's a crypt of shit on a pole match. That's all we need. Crypt of shit on a pole match. I mean, they, they've had some... They, some gimmicks, they've hit the nail on the head and they've actually... You know, they've they've got it right. Yeah. For every head in the cell, there's a concrete crypt. You know, for every... Elimination Chamber, there's a Judy Bagwell and a pole match. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get better as we go along. You know, this is only, we're only reaching, this is number six. The, the top five, may I just say, they are some moments in time. It gets a lot more cringy. <laughs> and now Bubba <laughs> just working on Undertaker. See, nowadays, they just stick to what they know. And nine times out of ten, it is one or, you know, it is a normal match. Normal stipulations, you know, and then they throw something awful like this in your way in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah, this is god-awful. And Bubba now with a sleep on the Undertaker's just what we want. Oh, but Undertaker managing to fight his way out. Backdrop on Bubba. And now Devon's actually waiting for a tag. That's, that's, <laughs> that's mighty noble of him. Might I just point out. <laughs> Look at Baron Barrow is in serious trouble. Is that another fork truck with the concrete crypto? I'll tell you what, these... these Fork truck operators, I might have to uh, talk to WWE, but I, you know, I can operate your fork truck for you. Bubba gets a tag to a, a relatively fresh Devon, but the Undertaker's got no one to tag, and he's all by himself. See, we've had John Cena going against four. We've had Undertaker going against two. Yeah, but the thing is as well, the Undertaker, is he making a mini comeback now? Got really f- oh, rolling the dice, snake eyes. His dating Big profile boat. would be brilliant, wouldn't it? You know, it'd be like... Uh, yeah, uh, what happened to you? what happened to your parents? Oh, they they died in the fire. What about your brother? Oh, he was in that same fire. Got but tried to have an unholy alliance with Stephanie, but luckily uh, Steve Austin came out and saved us. And then there was that time where I tried to hang a correctional <laughs> officer. Hey, yeah. I've put plenty of men in caskets, but apart from that, I've only buried a couple of men alive. <laughs> Been buried alive myself yeah, exactly, once as well, yeah. going against the owner of the company I work for, but it turned out my brother stabbed me in the back. When I came back, I was fine. And the Undertaker now, going for old school yet again, he's got the Dudleys in trouble. Oh, and takes down Bubba Ray. Is he going for a tombstone? On oh, Nope. Oh. Devon with a backslide there and a low blow to Undertaker. And that is the lowest of the low, and that's all he can do to survive the onslaught of the Undertaker. Bubba... Beyond Sergeant Slaughter. Well, Bubba, there we go. Was going to go out, but decided just to come in. The referee saying, come on, you've got, you got a tag. Or what, referee? Oh, B3D. Oh. And now Heyman waddling down to ringside. 
It looks like the penguin. <laughs> As portrayed by Danny DeVito. <laughs> My name. And now look at, Uh-oh. Antake has just sat up. Has just sat up. And oh, yeah, at, that's going to stop him, isn't it? <laughs> looked at Paul Heyman. The power of the urn. Rise, get down. Uh-oh. Bubba's in trouble. I'm going to ask you what it sounds like for Paul Bear in a minute. Oh, Chase down by the Undertaker to Bubba. Oh, setting him up for a tombstone pile driver. Oh. One, two, three. Hey. The Undertaker wins, saving Paul Bearer from certain annihilation. Now, Heyman's not happy. He's got the urn. Heyman's saying he's got to do, he's got to do the right thing. Oh. And an explosion by the cement truck. Like a lightning strike from the gods above us. That must be Undertaker's mystic power, Dan. Why didn't he do that in the first place, then? Well, we haven't seen that for about nine years as well. So maybe he's like, you know. He's been saving up. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's the excellent point. Why don't you just do it to begin with? <laughs> so there you go. And now what would what would be what would Paul Bear be saying in the concrete crypt, Dan? Save me, Undertaker! Save me Oh, thank goodness for this, Undertaker. Who's Paul Bear's manager for some years, you know, basically the father. There we go. The Undertaker bows at Paul Bearer. What a moment. So there's a bloke backstage with his finger ready to press play. He's yeah. like, no, wait for it. No, no, look, watch, wait. Wait for him to... Ni- wait. There now. Are, yeah. <laughs> well, come on now. What are we going to do? Is Undertaker going to break glass to try and get Paul Bearer out? Maybe he's going to reverse the truck or something like this. Borrow Triple H's sledgehammer. There's normally one under the ring somewhere. Yeah, you can't find it. <laughs> Save me! That is how it should be. That's the way 13 years right there, baby. The Undertaker bowing, not only, not to the urn, but to Paul Bearer, his longtime confidant, his longtime friend, Paul Bearer. Let's get him out of that cement there. All that heavy weight on that man's chest, on Paul Bearer's chest. Bulls. But no cigar, Heyman. Now, thank God for that lightning bolt. Oh, Wherever the hell that I came know what happened. What was that? I don't know what it was. Now, the, what, what is it? What, oh, I have no idea. What, well, that was the lever that Paul Heyman used to... to I have no other choice. Rest in peace. Oh, oh my God. No, no, no. Undertaker. What the hell is he doing? What the hell is he doing? Undertaker pulled the lever. What? What are you doing? Oh my God! What's just happened, Dan? He pulled the lever and it's filled up with... Paul Bearer has uh, unfortunately died. 
He's been suffocated in a crypt full of concrete. The Undertaker is dead. Paul Bearer, like Dan said, Paul Bearer has died. And um, it's a horrible moment on the list. But we are halfway through. Dan, what did you think of the concrete crypt match? There's only one thing more ridiculous than Paul Bearer being cemented in a glass crypt, James. Do you know what that is? What is that, Dan? That is Randy Orton losing the heavyweight championship to Jim. The thing about the Undertaker, though, it didn't make any sense. No. Why would he have him lose? To, and why did he bury him? I mean, he did say it was because he didn't want to show any weakness, but he had won the match. He had beaten Paul Heyman. He had done everything. So there you go. But weirdly enough, that wasn't Paul Bearer's last appearance in WWE. He would show up when Edge kidnapped him when they were feuding over the world. He'd be involved back up until 2010. Uh, but it's one of those moments where WWE like to always like to say, no, this is what you did. All right? And this is what you're going to have to look at. So we are, we are halfway through. <laughs> halfway through this. It's number five to take a deep breath and start telling us. The Dungeon of Doom. And the real white-fingered tiger, the immoral Hogan, And it's creeping deeper and deeper into that trap that you have set for him. He fell for the trap, Father, and tonight in the Dungeon of Doom, the slaughter of the immortal Hulk Hogan will prevail. Taskmaster! Taskmaster! The path you've laid is perfectly clear. Only a man that was ready for combat would follow it. After what happened with Kamal in the ring, brother, I held your whole army at bay. The shark, the Zodiac, and Kamal, brother. Bring them all out. Let them feel the power of Hulkamania right now in the dungeon, brother. As they fall at my feet, you'll feel the power. And then, your most powerful possession. Bring him to me. Bring the giant to me. I've fought giants before, and I can't wait to fight your most powerful warrior. Because that's in stone. Only Hulkamania will live forever, Taskmaster. You don't understand. I will destroy Hulkamania. Because I am the son of a giant. The Dungeon of Doom was created as a stable of wrestlers born from WCW lead producer Kevin Sullivan's kayfabe hatred of Hulk Hogan and was dedicated to ridding WCW of Hulkamania. The stable was the direct continuation of Sullivan's previous stable, the Free 
Faces of Fear. Well, after Sullivan defeated the man with no name <laughs> at Slambury in 1995, the master told Sullivan he was the taskmaster of the Dungeon of Doom and that the task was to destroy Hulkamania. The group initially consisted of people with rather bizarre and horrifying gimmicks such as the Shark, who had teamed with Sullivan before as Avalanche, Kamala the Ugandan Giant, the Zodiac, who also teamed with Sullivan, before as a butcher, Ming, who was Colonel Robert Parker's bodyguard, bodyguard, and Big Van Vader. The group was quickly joined by the Giant, who in storyline claimed to be the son of Andre Giant, and was out for revenge on Hogan for defeating his father. The feud between the Dungeon of Doom and Hogan and his friends led to a War Games match at Thrall Brawl, where Hogan, Randy Savage, Lex Luger and Sting took on Kamala, the Zodiac, the Shark and Ming inside the double ring cage. Hogan's team won, which per stipulation enabled Hogan to get five minutes with Sullivan inside the cage. Before the five minutes were up, however, the giant made his way into the cage and attacked Hogan, twisting his neck violently as to break it. Yeah, uh, we go back to Halloween special, and this part we're just about to talk about, we, we, we watched it on Halloween Night Night 5. Uh, after the attack on Hogan, plans were set for the world title match at Halloween Havoc. Hogan and the Giant decided that before they got in the ring and wrestled, they would face off in a sumo monster truck competition of Cobra Hall. I'm sure you remember that, Dan, don't you? Uh, as try as I might, I, I've not been able to manage to forget it. Hogan won the match, and then the two started fighting on the roof, of course, resulting in the Giant falling off the roof and into the Detroit River. When it was time for the main event, the giant just strolled down to the aisle with Kevin Sullivan behind him, with no explanation given to how he could still be alive. The giant won the match by disqualification when Hogan managed Hart hit the referee with his megaphone. The next night, Hart revealed that he put a clause in the contract that stated the championship could change hands on a disqualification, thus making the giant the new champion and Hart the manager of the Dungeon of Doom. <coughs> Due to the unconventional nature of the Giants' title victory, the world title was vacated and a new champion to be crowned in a free-ring, 60-man battle royal at an event called World War Three. The Hulk Hogan Dungeon of Doom food was the focus of the battle royal, but it would be Randy Savage who won the title, last eliminating Dungeon member One Man Gang. The feud between Hogan and Dungeon of Doom simmered along from World War Three until Super Bowl Six, and during this time period the Dungeon had been joined by Loch Ness, the Yeti, Hugh Morris and Big Bubba Rogers, along with the one-man gang. And at Super Bowl Six, Hogan defeated the Giant and decided they had still caged to end their feud. The dungeon slowly faded, and at some point during the spring of 1996, Hogan revealed the man known as the Zodiac was actually a spy. Sent to join the group by Hogan, the revelation transformed the Zodiac into the Booty Man, an ally of Hogan and Randy Savage, as they faced the alliance to end which consisted of several dungeon members as well as Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. At this point, the alliance became the focal point while the Dungeon of Doom itself became less prominent. So that leads us all. All that build-up for the Dungeon of Doom leads us to this match. And it is the Tower of Doom steel cage match here at Uncensored. <laughs> it's going to be Hogan, Showman versus, uh, like we say, the alliance, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and of course the Dungeon of Doom as well. 
And it is the 24th of March, 1996. I mean, look at all those faces there. Lex Luger included here. I mean, have you ever seen a structure, Dan, like this uh, like, like this cage you see before you? Um, no. And, uh, you know, it's just as awful as having uh, two rings set up inside a massive cage. But hey-ho, it's, uh, it's something different, I suppose. <laughs> well, yes, it is, you know. And this is, uh, like we say, March of 1996. So this time in WF. You would be having the Iron Man match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Whereas over here you have the Tower of... I don't even know what the match is called. What's the match called again? Tower of Doom Steel Cage. Yes, the Tower of Doom. And I mean, it must be what? Eight compartments. You've got the um, the scaffold up there as well, keeping it erect. You've got different wrestlers in different uh, cages. As we see, Sean Hogan start off Ryan Lance and Ric Flair. Of course, you see how strong the structure is. You've got referee in here. Below them, you've got the um, Ming... Ming, he's probably my favourite wrestler in this whole entire match because <laughs> I do love his Togan death grip, which was the killer of finishers. Yes, for the Barbarians and downstairs as well alongside Kevin Sullivan. And we're going to see this action, Dan. This is going to be... You You think the concrete crypt was something. You wait until the Tower of Doom. All precarious position. Of course, nowhere near the, the crowd, really. The entranceway, but they're taking up a whole different side of the arena so it's taken away from the crowd as well making it much smaller and there's not a lot you can oh great now we've got split screen because that's what we need to make a small match even smaller yeah so i wonder what we can do here well oh rick flair's really bleeding Is well he, that, that that's right? not uh unusual that bleeding oh no it's not but hogan and the macho man not the mega powers of course <laughs> no nah, not 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 to be confused with the mega powers <laughs> yeah they just want to get rid of Hulk Hogan here tonight. Well, Hokamania as a whole. So what is the uh, the idea of this match then? Well, it's quite simple. They have to defeat their opponents to get down to the ring area. And then at that point, they'll be able to get a pinfall victory over someone to finally win the match. All right, so they have to win to go down. Yeah. And then win to go down. A win or escape to get down there, yeah. Because, I, I, I mean, <coughs> luckily for me, Dan... Last year when I was going on a WCW binge, I did watch this pay-per-view. And I did put it aside for a time like this. And uh, they do escape at one point. And, but it's, it's one of these great matches where this is what WCW had to do to try and make Hogan still fresh. And it, it's kind of weird what the WWF would have done maybe if Hogan had stayed with them. You know what I mean? If he would have maybe carried on having these crazy opponents like he is in WCW. Well, I suppose it stops him getting booed like a similar character that WWE have got, oh, I don't know, like John Cena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what helps is, of course, if the fans are booing, they could be booing the other eight wrestlers in here. They could be booing the, the structure itself. It might not be Hogan's fault. You know, Hogan backstage would be like, oh, brother, they were booing Macho Man, you know. Or oh, Ric Flair with a chops, but it has no effect on Hulk Hogan. Woo! And Savage there choking out Arn Anderson with his shirt. And this, of course, is the longest cage match in history as well. 90 minutes. And you thought that Mankind flying off the top was a cage match moment. This whole match is a moment. Yeah, this is unbelievable. Well, I mean, this is 96, so I can't see any big screens anywhere. They might have some small screens around, but can the crowd actually see much what's going on? Can the fans at home really see much? That's going on. I mean, the, the camera's a bit weird here, isn't it? The positioning and stuff, you would expect. Indeed, more. yes. There's not a cameraman inside, but of course the doomsday cage. I mean, he could be in serious trouble here, you know? Well, you know, like a concept similar to could work nowadays, you know, if they if they changed it up to like a, 
an arena outside the cage and, uh, you know, like a, a structure around the cage. Yeah, all right, yeah. And then they've got, like, four separate pods yeah, where they've got yeah, single the, wrestlers in. Yeah, like, you know, chambers. Yeah, like some sort like of... Like a chamber, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what you call it, though. Would you a call... chamber where you have to eliminate people. Yeah, would you call it the Megadeth Explosive Ring of Fire? Call it the Chamber of Doom Steel Cell Cage Super Duper. Match Super Duper from hell. Cage. <laughs> so anybody at home you are not missing much action because at the moment Arn Anderson working on Hogan looked like Lex Luger from below had a hold of Savage from on high and now well, figure four now he's working on the leg oh yeah he's Arn Anderson's got a figure four on Hogan and you say Ric Flair legend Arn Anderson legend Hogan legend Savage legend this is the shit they got up to. Don't don't anybody tell you that the old wrestlers didn't do the kind of crap. You know what I mean? uh, am I correct in saying that all four are Hall of Famers? Yes, indeed, yeah. And exactly. So this is the kind of shit they did. They're rolling a lot of shit here tonight, apart from the next... Well, actually, I'll tell a lie. These are probably... This is the last stop on good wrestlers as we carry on, I feel. Um, oh, Ric Flair's got a weapon, but he's dropping it down to the cage below. <laughs> yeah, he wants to uh, give it to someone else. Flair's just laying there. He's in a bit of trouble. Referee Randy Anderson's there to check the action. Oh, wait a minute. Down below, Barbarian and Ming just had powder in the face. Oh, and he's just throwing something in the face of Arn Anderson as well. I mean, there's a lot of powder going on. And then Hogan uh, is escaping through the trap door. I tell you what it reminds me of as Hogan does go down the door. You know those kids, uh, the, the play thing they have? The, the, uh, I went the on adventure one. playground kind Ad- of thing. Yeah, exactly. Adventure playground is what it looks like. They should have those bub- uh, balls everywhere. <laughs> Ball pit, yeah. <laughs> so they've gone from two wrestlers now to facing four wrestlers. Yes, but at least they've, they've escaped Ric Flair and Anderson. They are out of the match now. Well, there is certainly no way that Flair and Anderson could actually calm down through that trap door, is no, there? No, 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 no way no. in it's hell. It's officially locked off. So now, Kevin, and you can see these are two compartments here as well. Hogan's got the uh, the... Chain wrapped around his hand, he hits Kevin Sullivan. So I was just taking a breath, but how exciting the action was. And now to come to the other side, it's basically a cage house, isn't it? You know? It is. Yeah, whose house? Cage house. Is that Lex Luger? Yeah, Lex Luger is in this match. Hogan. Yeah, Luger is part of the uh, Dungeon of Doom. Doomsday cage match. Ming just clotheslined uh, Barbarian all the other way around, and now Savage having his way. But Hogan. Bit of trouble with Sullivan and Luger. Oh, he's got a foreign object, of course, that Ric Flair dropped down. Or as they say in WSW, international object, because they don't want to be racist. And it is quite hard to tell what is actually going on. I think Savage is getting worked over by two guys, and so is Hogan. Oh, it looks like... Oh, Hogan's come to Savage's rescue, and he's having a meeting of the minds of uh, Ming the Barbarian. Oh, and look, Hogan's locked Ming and the Barbarian into a cage, so he's turned it into a two-on-two match. Ah, clever thinking. And now Ric Flair and Arn Anderson can't get down either. Because then they'll be stuck on that side. Ah, ha, ha, ha. So it's Kevin Sullivan <laughs> and Lex Luger on that side. All we see, of course, woman, Miss Elizabeth, Jimmy Hart. Of course, now he turned on Hogan. Jimmy Hart. He turned on Hogan a few times, though, didn't uh, he? Yeah, he's turned on Hogan all and Matt turned on Jeff. So I think, you know. Indeed. Oh, wait a minute and look at that. Nice helping Arn Anderson down. But how are you going to get through that? Hogan chained it shut. There is no way that door's opening. Uh-oh. They might have opened accidentally already. Oh, and look, Hogan and Savage have both escaped down. Oh, no, that's Hogan 
That's Sullivan there. Oh, Sullivan and Hogan. <laughs> Fucking looks so- Oh, that's a compliment to Kevin Sullivan there. <laughs> to be fair, old blokes with bleached blonde hair. Yeah, I can understand. Oh, and that Hogan's threatening to push Sullivan off the scaffold in there. And that's about a 75-foot drop. That is very precarious. And now the four guys still can't get through that chained-up door. They can't, but Hogan and Sullivan going down the structure. Oh, Hogan might be going off now. Oh, he's in a precarious position himself. And, of course, Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan and Dusty Rhodes trying to sell it as best they can on commentary. <laughs> oh. You know, it's, it's really... What is... Okay, Bobby. What, now, uh, you being manager of the year so many times, what is... The snake grass, Jimmy Hart thinking about here, and woman, and, and Elizabeth standing out there. You know, I mean, the two devilish women. What, what, what kind of strategy is he yelling at them up there? What can you say when they're 45 feet up in the air? Well, when I manage people that are involved in a cage. There's not much you can do once that door shuts. All you can do is give them uh, support. Yeah. Uh, you can't pick out a lot of things when you're at eye level, but when you're uh, 30, 40, 50, 70 feet in the air, three different cages. The only thing a manager can do in this is just stand back and watch and hope you got a client in the morning. Yeah, well, how fresh is the next tiers? Them guys in the tiers down below them, how fresh are they right now? I've never seen anything like this. I don't know. I don't know how to judge this. And even as good as them three are. <laughs> yeah, no. nah. Macho and Luger going a little match of their own. I mean, they're not really wrestling, are they? It's more holding. And scraping and just keeping it busy. Yeah. Whereas Hogan and Sullivan take it to the extreme. I mean, East W was around, but I mean, this Doomsday Cage match. Who's Macho Man fighting? Macho's going after the four. I think he's sniffed up. Come on, Macho, leave him alone. Sullivan and Hogan have made it down to terra firma now, though. And now Hogan sends him into the steel barricade. Gets Hogan from behind. Oh, and here's Macho Man. So it's a normal tag team match. Oh, Savage throwing uh, Kevin Sullivan into Luger. They're going back to the proper ring at the moment. Not the ring in the hell in the cell. Who's Hogan doing? Oh, the referee, uh, the microphone off the ring announcer. <laughs> he chased Michael Buffer to get that. Michael Buffer can't use that now. Look, it's broken along, across his head. Hogan, you can't put him in his ring. Wrong ring, mate. It's Hogan time. Is it leg drop? No, he just wants to hurt him, you see. That's the only moves Hogan's to hit that. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, no, I don't want to blow my wad too soon. <laughs> Oh, Still got another 10 minutes left of this match. Clothesline. Oh, wait a minute. Jimmy Hart, has he got out the other members of the Alliance slash the Dungeon of Doom? I don't know what's going on. We're split screen again. Luger throws Macho into the structure. Hogan running and throwing Sullivan into the cage around the ring. Oh, and Hogan sneaking up on Luger. Takes hey. out Lex. And Macho Man now turning his attentions to Kevin Sullivan. Oh. oh, and Hogan hitting Luger on the back with a satchel. <laughs> Split screen again, yay. And Sullivan, we're hitting Savage. And you made that to the point about this, because nowadays we've got, of course, our 100-inch screen, so it fits in a little bit better. Back in the day, you had the tiniest of TVs, so a split screen here means you probably wouldn't have seen anything. What year was this? 1996. So you'd have had the LCD... Terrible quality TV, which would have been, what, uh, about 20 inches if you're exactly. lucky. So you'd have had like a, about a six-inch box either side. And you're probably not watching this live. You're watching it on VHS as well. So that means the quality is even worse because you've got the, the lines in the corner and yeah. stuff like this. But Luger getting thrown by Hogan. And what's Kevin Sullivan doing? Ta- apart the set. He's got a couple of planks of wood and Hogan's taken Luger into the main ring again. 
Now look at Hogan posing. Hulking up. Oh, but Sullivan. Sullivan looks like he's on his way down to the ring. Maybe you remember what to do. He didn't want... Oh, no. Macho now has got the plank. Here he goes. Oh. oh. Runs into Hits Sullivan the gently. <laughs> Hits the cameraman with more force than he does Kevin Sullivan there. A Hogan going for a punch. I mean, Dan, have you actually ever seen anything like this before? Like, there's no structure. I've this, never it? seen anything as disorganised and as chaotic as this. It's like it's like when you're playing SmackDown and you just you just fancy fighting for an hour for no reason. <laughs> it's all yeah. over the place. Backstage, yeah. When you used to do that trick in uh is it a elimination chamber where you used to be able to get out the ring? Yeah, when you get yeah, if you get up on and dives towards you from the top rope and you're both out there and you're just running around the arena. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, completely. You're just fighting, you can't finish it, you don't really want to. But now Luger and Sullivan have taken over the macho man and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> that was the most awful chair shot I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I'm going to try it again. One chair. Oh, there we go. That's better. Stomp it down. Hey. Oh, that looks like a really heavy chair as well. <laughs> right to the back of Lex Luger. He doesn't want to get up to get another chair shot, does he? No, he's not. I'll stand down. Fuck off. <laughs> no, no, I'm up. Okay, this makes me appreciate WWE pay-per-views a lot more. <laughs> Yeah, do you think the Raw pay-per-view was that bad? <laughs> we should watch one of these pay-per-views and then watch a, you know, a WWE pay-per-view and then, uh, yeah, <laughs> see the comparison. And Lex gets his own back there, hits Savage with a chair shot on Hogan across the back. And the referee's saying, uh, what's going on? Like, come on. Referee's just pretty much giving up. He's like... <sighs> and now Sullivan hanging him up. Ooh. Planting Savage on the barricade there. Oh, and then clotheslines him off it onto uh, concrete. There was not even a thin mat there where he landed. <laughs> and then he hit that little Hulkamaniac in the audience as well. But Savage, despite that, manages to get Sullivan down and they're both tussling on the ground. <laughs> Hogan's got Luger. They're both on the same side, but the cameraman still wants split screen. Meeting of the minds from Luger and Sullivan. So if you think about it, Ric Flair and uh, the guys in the cage had a quiet, quiet night, didn't they? You know, a little bit of fighting. Do you think they're still up there? They haven't cut to them again, no. have they? Do you think they're up there? <laughs> yeah. I think they're sitting down talking like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, my God. it's Well, that's Zeus, Tony Lister from uh, No Holes Bar. Do you remember that Hogan film that he had? They thought bringing him to WWE would be a good idea. Clearly it wasn't. Nope. And you fucking think the offers a pain. We're horrible, muscly, green guys. Not at least two. I'll tell you what, the guy just threw Hogan in. If he hasn't died of a massive heart attack, then I'll be very surprised. And here we go. In the ring inside the cage, but of course, not properly lit, so we can't see yeah, them. Yes, so none of these men are legal to be pinned. Here we go. Lights are on now. Z Gangster throws them in. Not to be affiliated with the Ultimate Warrior. Well, no, the Ultimate Solution should be called... The the ultimate future endeavours, because that's what he should be. He's in now, and look at it, powering over on Hogan. Z gangster in the corner as well. It's not stereotypical racist at all. The lighting is terrible. I do feel sorry for these fans that have probably paid quite a lot for their tickets back then. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. This is not over, because Kevin Sullivan... He's bringing a foreign object into the ring. He's just poking at Savage. Oh, you don't want to poke at a savage. <laughs> yeah, poke at a savage bear. You're going to get bitten. Hogan trying to fight both of these men. Oh, savage is going up top. Oh, takes out Z, gangster. And now he takes the ultimate solution, takes down Hogan. 
But Hogan, no selling it <laughs> completely. Is he laughing? No, he's like, what the fuck? It looks like he's got a grin on his face. And Savage, clotheslining Z Gangster, uh-oh. Gets caught in a bear hug, though. Hogan saying, put your head against here, mate. Yeah, there you go. go. That's what we do. Bouncing his head against the most flexible cage wall ever. <laughs> that he's like, yeah, no, we, that... we won't do that. That looked like a... Hogan trying to hit Z Gangster from behind, but he just releases Savage, turns around and just sets his gaze upon Hogan. The lighting's better. Do you know what you remind me of then? A German man saying the gangster. The gangster? <laughs> he has Hogan bison throat. Hogan has the gangster. He's going to take him down. He's choking the Hulkamania. Oh, he's choking life out of him. And so he's going to win. Oh my god, and the ultimate solution, I mean, talk about being German, no offence. But he's got Savage up, Gorilla Press, oh. oh. I think I've had my fill of unnecessarily brawling, do you know what I mean? Like... So where's Lex and uh, Sullivan gone then? Good question. Savage has just reached oh. for something inside his pants. Wait a minute, talk about that, Arn Anderson's back in the ring. He's taken off his, uh, his trousers he had on upstairs, and, and Ric Flair's back now as well. Oh dear. Strutting his way into the ring. There is no way that the Hogan and Macho Man could win this match. It, it's impossible. It, the, number, the numbers, Dan, the numbers. It's turned to a four-on-one with the two guys outside. That would be a six-on-one. And then the other two guys in the cage. That's eight-on-two. Exactly. And with Jimmy Hart there as well. You've and got woman. On, yeah, woman offers more. <laughs> well, I, I hope Savage turns on Hogan as well. <laughs> That's what you want. You want a good heel turn in here. <laughs> Hogan looks like he's going to win it. Savage, no. But anyway, Savage, oh my God, thrown to the cage. And now Hogan's been punched, double teamed by Ultimate Solution and Arn Anderson. Is this another idea by Vince Russo? This is not Vince Russo had nothing to do with this one. This is all Kevin Sullivan, who's the booker, Dusty Rhodes, and Eric Bischoff as well. And the powder's back there now. We can see Macho drunk. Oh, wait a minute. <coughs> That's a booty man as well. Of course, he was helping him. And what's he got? Oh. Oh. The powder into Z Gangster's eyes and <laughs> the ultimate terribleness. Oh, frying pan. Out of the frying pan into the fire, Dan. As they, uh... That's it. Hogan's going crazy with a frying pan. Oh, my God. And, and these just... lights are fucking awful, going yeah. from yellow to purple to normal. They are. Hogan hits the gangster with the... <laughs> macho Hogan does... and Macho are just going around beating everyone with a frying pan. Oh. Macho tripped up but still managed to hit his target. Oh, wait a minute. There we go. There's Lex Luger. Oh, throwing Hogan out there. Well, that was it. They were, but they just been, Flair, everybody in the ring was just hit by frying pan. Oh, oh, hang on a minute. Luger's putting his glove on. Oh, loaded glove there. I was just about to say, frying pans weren't enough. Loaded glove by Luger. Oh, savage ducks. <laughs> and Luger looks like he wasn't supposed to hit Ric Flair, but he actually does hit Ric Flair on purpose. That's just... It's what? It's what? It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> and now... Hogan and Savage escape. No, they look no. to escape the cage, but Savage goes flying back in. Oh, he gets the pin. Gets the pinfall. And that's it. Savage and Hogan win. And against the odds, <laughs> Hogan and Savage have beaten eight men. Eight on two. Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan get the victory. 
Unbelievable. Dan, what did you think of that match? That was... <laughs> terrible. What? Was there anything that was right in it? No. <laughs> the presentation was horrible. The The whole point of these eight men, Ric Flair included in this, Lex Luger. A 16-time world champion, <laughs> Ric Flair. Treated like that. I mean, and the finish as well with Luger about... <laughs> well, they escape the ring, forgetting to pin someone, and comes back in, pin someone quickly, and then goes. And um, Ultimate Solution, Arn Anderson, everybody in the ring cannot believe it. Oh, uh, God almighty. How ridiculous was that? Well, James, there's only one thing more ridiculous... And that is Jinder Mahal pinning Randy Orton for the World Heavyweight Championship. All right, so we move on to one of my personal favourites. Now, I didn't know in the list, but we're going to have back-to-back steel cage matches, Dan. Are you ready for this? This is one of my personal favourites. It is the Kennel from Hell match. Well, it can't be any worse <laughs> than the Tower of Doom steel cage match. You want to bet? You want to bet? I see your bet, sir. Here we go. WWE Unforgiven 999, 26th of September. Here we go. Well, King, I'll tell you what. Al Snow has been a distraught and a desperate man as of late. Heartbroken because of the abduction of his dog, Pepper. Well, without a doubt. I mean, you know, uh, Pepper is, is Al Snow's closest friend. Big boss man abducted Pepper. It was a dog napping, and, and Al Snow has been, I mean, he's been heartsick ever since. And, you know, Boss Man asking for ransom, and what Boss Man did was, he said, Al Snow, you can be a hardcore title shot, I'll give you back Pepper. The only problem was, Boss Man didn't uphold his end of the bargain. No, he took the hardcore title, plus he took Pepper after the match was over. Okay. But you know what? Al, compen- he continued to beg, and I think that Boss Man... I once had a little dog when I was a kid that ran away. I figured out a way to make this whole thing up to you. You come to my hotel, you find my room next Thursday, I will personally hand you Pepper. Well, King Al Snow did go to the Big Boss Man's hotel room earlier today. We have footage. We haven't seen it yet. It was shot earlier today, but I can tell you this. It was a happy reunion between Al Snow and his dog, Pepper. Well, it's about time. That's good. Can we see it? I just want the dog. Don't touch me, please. All right. I just you don't have to get hot. The dog's at the groomer's. I'm having him cleaned up. He's going to look nice for you. At the I just groomer's, have Ray, he doesn't have any hair. Just have a seat. What? I don't want to sit down, Ray. I, I went to, to a lot of trouble, Al. I'm going to make sure I do the right thing here. Do the right thing. The right thing would be give me back my friend. Well, I am, Al. Uh, you just you just got to trust me. You know, I went Ray, got the finest I food mass that you don't understand what that dog means to me. Yeah, I do. I, I had mean, a dog when I was a kid. I understand. I told you I, I could sympathize with you. But what are you doing? I don't want to eat, Ray. I, went, I didn't come here to eat. I'll just eat the food and let me do the right thing here. Do the I mean, right thing. Give me the dog. That's, you know. He's on his way. The guy said he'd be bringing him. You just got to trust me. I'm here, aren't I? Ray, if I eat the food, will that make you happy and then you can give me the dog? Oh, yeah. If you're giving me a chance, do what's right. I'll do whatever you want. Just please, just give me the dog. Because you're supposed to give me the dog, right? Oh, How you like it, Al? Aren't you going to have any? Oh, yeah, I'm going to have a lot of it. How's it taste? Oh, well, it's not bad. You cook it yourself? Well, Uncle Harry, a restaurant I know down in Boston, cooked it. But will you do me a favor? Try not to get one of them uh, paws stuck in your teeth. That's right, Al. 100% grade A 
peppers. No, no. <laughs> What's the matter, Al? Uh, you don't like pepper? You don't like the way pepper tastes? You don't like the way pepper looks? Huh? You don't like pepper? Huh? What's the matter with you, boy? Huh? Huh? You don't like the way pepper tastes? Huh? You don't like what? Oh, no way. Pepper's not gonna take an elevator today. You're gonna eat every damn bite of the little son of a bitch. I told you, if he bit me again, I was gonna send him straight to hell. Huh? You understand me, Al? Huh? You understand me, what this is all about? This is hardcore, and you can damn well bet. Huh? You can damn well bet. No, wait a minute. He, Al Snow was eating pepper steak. Oh my God. Bossman is sick. This is. I he's, can't sa- he's sadistic. I mean. Well, a month earlier at SummerSlam, Al Snow had defeated the big and hardcore championship. This instigated a feud between the two and a switch of the belt, which culminated in the British Bulldog defeating the Bossman for the title and just giving it to Al Snow. On September the 13th, Bossman accepted Snow's challenge in the kennel from hell and the stage was set. Yeah, so this is number four on our list and you see already the head and cell coming down. We're going to have a blue bath uh, steel cage around the ring. Uh, but of course, the storyline itself was almost Shakespearean in its beauty, Dan. Because on the August 23rd episode of Raw, Big Boss Man attacked Al Snow during the defence of the hardcore title and stole the champ- champion's beloved pet dog, Pepper. This led to a nauseating angle on the September 2nd edition of SmackDown, where Big Boss Man revealed that Snow had in- inadvertently eaten his best friend. Passing off the murder of an innocent animal as entertainment, a week later, Snow was hardcore champion and eventually challenged Boss Man to the match to gain revenge for his pet, best friend, and dinner, all rolled into one. So, this is Al Snow backstage interview, and let's just see what he says to Boss Man quickly. Boss man, it's come down to this, a kennel from hell match, and I bet you're regretting what you did to Pepper. I don't regret a damn thing I do. I tell you what, you're the one that's going to be regretting something. If you ask me another question like that, I'm going to shove this nightstick right up your ass. You got that? See, I've spent my whole adult life dealing with people inside of cages, and tonight will be no different. Whether there's dogs there or not, this night's going to be a night nobody's going to forget, especially Al Snow. Well, now this all started with Pepper, and now tonight it's going to end with a kettle from hell match. Tonight, boss man, for everything you've done to Pepper, for the memory of Pepper, I'm going to be all over your fat, donut-eating ass like a one-man crime spree. You fat, worthless son of a bitch! Don't play my like that anymore, do you? <laughs> you know? Well, nobody quite knew what to expect in the first ever Kennel from Hell match. But rest assured, it was worse than any of us could have imagined. Well, we've got an exclusive as well, because thanks to Dan's friend Vince Russo, we have an inside scoop of what happened on that day said by Vince Russo. Dan? 
Al and Boss Man still cage that is somehow surrounded by vicious canine attack dogs. Just in writing this, or just in reading this alone, I can't even remember the structure. Is that the idea was for both wrestlers to be in severe danger of getting ripped limb from limb by trained police dogs? Only one problem: when I arrived to the building that day, there was no trained police attack dogs. Made sense that the local sheriff's department wouldn't lend a wrestling company their canines unit for the sake of biting wrestlers. Makes sense, right? Well, of course, I didn't think that at the time. We were the WWE. We could get whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. By God. <laughs> so we had to settle for finding locals who owned and trained pit, pit bulls. Okay, in theory, that will work. Everybody knows that pit bulls are lunatics who get off from fighting each other in cages, so this should suffice. Well, a few hours before the show, the owners marched to pray the dogs in. I knew there was a problem immediately when I walked over to one of the extreme trepidation and the killer pit dog nonchalantly proceeded to lick me. Then the next one jumped to me and slobbered all over my face. I swear I thought Al was playing the rib on me. Okay, funny. Now bring in the real killers. What are you talking about, prop guy? I'm talking about the killer canines who are supposed to be threatening the very existence of Al and the boss man. These are them, he calmly answered. You wanted pit bulls, I got you pit bulls. Yeah, Richie, I wanted pit bulls, ones that will eat people, not ones that will lick you to your final death. I wish I could pin this one on Richie, but he had nothing to do with it. This mess was 100% all on me. Envisioning six killer pit bulls foaming at the mouth, just waiting to pounce on the big boss man, looking to shed him with a few pounds. I discount the fact that we could have never really known what we'd be getting from the dogs. With all the lights, camera and crowd wrestlers in action, how would they perform? I swear, I actually believe that owners may have fed them some su- summers that they found laying around the locker room in a tent to try and calm their nerves. Now, them summers that he's talking about, somers, they're a jug that famously have uh, had a history of actually killing wrestlers because it makes you, it's a muscle relaxer, basically. So, and if the more muscle you've got, I guess the more relaxed you are. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, that's what he did to attempt to calm the nerves. And this is, a, this is one of my favourites, but it is known... Dan, as a, as a real shit show. What a freaking stinker. Yes. And it's all courtesy of one man, your friend, Vince Russo. Yes. <laughs> so we see, uh, and look at Boss Man's eye, been busted up by Al Snow recently as well. Because Unforgiven 99 is known as the referee strike. We, we had, um, we didn't have official WWE, we didn't have WWE officials, no one really wanted to take part in it. But, yeah, you know, um, Boss Man, he wasn't dealt a very good hand by WWE. You know, even though he remained quite loyal to them throughout his uh, long time yeah. with the WWE. It's like, well, you're never going to win a championship, like a world championship, but you are going to get hung from a cage and you're going to be in possibly one of the worst matches ever. Look, 1999 was a year, like you say, for Boss Man. He got hung at WrestleMania. He had this match in September. And in December this year, we'd be driving Big Show's father's casket away in a truck. So we had all this in 1999. And then, for worst off, they gave him Bull Buchanan in 2000. So like we say, the treatment of Boss Man has never been worse. I did like the Boss Man. Hardcore was all right, but this is going to be something else. As we already started the match, of course... So the goal is to escape both Cage and Hen Cell when the dogs are around. The dogs aren't here yet, and they're just brawling hardcore style. Oh, and now Snow's got control of the boss man's nightstick, and he's using it on the big boss man. Yeah, I think this is a better match than the Doom, but then again, every match is. So, you know, well, now Snow's locking boss man out. So when the, the, the attack dogs come down... The vicious attack dogs, the killers... 
Oh, Vince. Here we go. And look at these killers, Dan. I've been wanting to watch Kennel from Hell on WWE Network for uh, on the WWE podcast for years. Do you know? <laughs> Here they come, the dogs. The most vicious looking animals <laughs> I think I've ever seen in my life. This is unbelievable. Coming inside Satan's structure. Boss man doesn't know what to do with himself. I mean, uh, he doesn't know whether to shit or wind his watch, does he? As the uh, dogs come in, they can smell other dog on Boss, boss Man, can't they? Like, oh, you killed a dog. Dog killer. <laughs> boss Man has got nowhere to go. I mean, they're in the hell in a cell. Oh, nice. And, One uh, of them pissed in there already. Yeah, he's, the first thing he did when he got into the cage, took a piss. Marcus territory. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're chasing the Boss Man. Look how violent they are. The Boss Man trying to get away from either the dogs and get into the cage. I mean... Oh, fuck that. And you can hear them barking at each other as well. And oh, a snowplow there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as he tries to work Boss Man's hands. They're trying to make him fall into the dogs and get eaten alive. I mean, you know, the Boss Man made Al Snow eat his own dog. He did. And you can't really... We've seen a lot tonight. We've seen mothers getting kidnapped. We've seen fathers getting covered in concrete crypts. You've seen brothers getting fucking destroyed by fireworks. Ole! <laughs> fireworks. And we're seeing this now. I mean, how low can you go eating a dog, you know? Oh, look at these dogs now. They're, they're... Sniffing each other's asses. <laughs> Vicious attack dog sniffers. You would think they would just let them off the lead and let them run around. That would be the effect, wouldn't it? But yeah. I suppose you can't, so. You should have lent them Django. <laughs> oh, and Al Snow's running around. I mean, he could escape there, couldn't he? Yes, and the dog was more focused on the other dog. Yes, if my dog was in here, he'd kill Boss Man and Al Snow. But... No, he'd try and get out to kill me. <laughs> well, I don't care about these other cunts. I want you. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, you're not, you're not in America when it happens. You're in England. So Django has to go to the airport. He's on the plane. <laughs> He's just sniffing his way back to me. <laughs> back to the match. And Al Snow's in a precarious predicament. And you don't want to be in there with Big Boss Man. Of course, like we say, Boss Man's already been in the cell. He's been hung. So, I mean, it's just quite tough for him to show up for this one, you know? <laughs> Indeed. <yeah. laughs> like, last time I showed up, I got home. Oh, and oh. he suplexes Snow from the outside of the cage back into the ring there, and both men in a very precarious position now. And that's one more wrestling move than we saw in the uh, Doomsday cage match as well. So, well done, Boss Man and Snow. Boss Man, oh, send him into a cage. But we've never seen a cage in a hen cell before. Do you think it's quite a good concept? Yeah, I think it is, uh, you know, the dogs, not so much. <laughs> But, you know, the cage and the cell match, I think, you know, that'd be interesting. They've got to escape one cage and the other. And, you know, there could be like a, a lumberjack or a couple of lumberjacks each on the outside, you know, just to yeah. make it even more precarious. As Boss Man just breaks something across Al Snow's face. And he's already busted wide open. Must be busted open by that object. Tray to the face. It's a baking tray to the head. And uh, Snow was just teetering there. Boss Man just shoves him down to the mat. And, uh, yeah, he's busted wide open now. He's got help me on his head. I think he does need help. Boss Man can't escape. Luckily, he's scared of those killer dogs there. And what's Boss Man going? Where's he going? Well, it looks like some pliers or I don't think bolt cutters. I think they're too small for that. But Why cutters? Ah, cutting his way out the top. Very That's an interesting, clever. innovative way to get out. Yes, it is. I mean, if Boss Man gets out, that would be a real escape. Be able to climb down. Al Snow's nowhere to be seen at the moment. So you can never use that head in the cell again now. Boss Man, thanks. I can use it to choke down someone through. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Boss Man's... Uh, Al Snow's up, though. Oh! Got a baseball bat or something, can he? Just <laughs> hits Boss Man. Oh, snaps it over <laughs> Boss Man's back. Uh, that's a home run there. 
The boss man completely no-sells it and hits Snow with a right hand. And the right hand's more powerful than the baseball bat. There you go. <laughs> oh, my God. And he's got them pliers locked onto Al Snow's ear. <laughs> We've just seen it cut a hole into the top of the cage and it's going to rip one of his ears off. Oh, my God. He's trying to be like Mick Foley more and more, isn't he, Al Snow? Ow. Hey, powder. Hey. see powder again. Powder in a cage match. That's original. <laughs> Oh, he's going to hit. Oh! But Snow there knocks Boss Man's hand and sends the powder into his own face. I mean, we know wrestlers was doing a lot of coke back in these eras, but fucking <laughs> hell, coke to waste. <laughs> and that's how much money was made during the Attitude Era as Al Snow hits Boss Man around the face and cuts him open. And What's Al- he doing? Jabbing a, something into his Boss Man's head? Yeah, trying to... Gouging him open. An eye for an eye, isn't it? You know, how he fed him his dog. So he's going to make him bleed. <laughs> so he's going to make him bleed, make him blind. And look at the debris already. It's like a tornado's come through the arena. Oh, as Snow throws Boss Man into that rigid metal cage around the ring. Well, those dogs, look how near they are. Look how vicious they are. It looks like they're starting to hump each other. <laughs> <laughs> throws Boss Man into the cage again. And I mean, it, listen to the excitement in the crowd. You hear how hot they are right now. Oh my God, dogs don't like each other. Well, if it's hard enough to see wrestling through a cage or a cell, <laughs> having a cage and a cell. Double it. Yeah, exactly. They should have a blanket or a sheet blocking the sides of the cell as well. Oh, fucking hell. Did you hear that? God. <laughs> Dink. Snow plows in the back of the head. <laughs> and if Snow did have any brain cells, they're definitely gone now. Exactly, yes. Uh, what does Al Snow need? <laughs> oh, what's this? Oh, handcuffs, boss man now. Boss man's handcuffing Al Snow into the corner. Cheers, JR. Oh. <laughs> Al Snow didn't realise because he went to attack boss man. And now he's in serious trouble. Boss man cheering already. I mean, just climb out of the cage. Oh, boss man looks like he's going to be climbing to safety. He's had it all planned, hasn't he? The big man from Cobb County, Georgia. Oh, now Snow just looks like he ripped the handcuffs off the corner. Yeah, flew backwards as well. Now he's scrambling up to stop Boss Man. Oh, fuck that. Shaking <laughs> the cage and Boss Man is left. Oh! oh. <laughs> Comes off the cage and crutches himself on the top rope. I don't think it's as bad as everybody's making out it to be. I don't think it's bad, no. <laughs> I mean, the dogs haven't done fuck all, don't get me wrong. But, oh, what did everybody need? Head. And Al Snow's just about to give Boss Man head, even though Boss Man gave him his dog. Oh, and it looks like Al Snow's climbing out the side of the cage. Boss Man going the other way. Al Snow's now out the cage. And out oh, the head of the really cell. Drop down to them Rottweilers. I mean, they are vicious animals. He's trying to kick the cell out. That's not going to work. And the Rottweilers are there. Boss Man's nearly on top. Oh, Snow, he's gone. Snow's out. Snow wins. He's got revenge over Big Boss Man for forcing him to eat his own dog. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, JR says we've seen the first and the last ever Kennel from Hell match. And now Snow, I mean, Pepper used to love Head, don't get us wrong. <laughs> and, and that's what the memory is. Al Snow's won this for Pepper. Unfortunately, we didn't see anyone get mauled by dogs, though. We didn't. What was fighting with each other? No, I want Boss Man. There's a couple of fucking on the outside. <laughs> yeah, they've left a little surprise. Here, boss man. Opens the door and runs his fat ass down the ramp. Oh, but he's getting chased by those Rottweilers, Dan. 
They're hungry for blood. Vicious. Oh, <laughs> one fell over. The fat one fell over. <laughs> uh, so, Dan, what did you think of the match? Um, to be fair, I think it's probably the best match I've seen so far tonight. Awful addition. If you know what I mean, you know. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's, I think that's really fair to say because we've seen awful matches. Not bad. It's just the, the concept was yeah. terrible. The dog idea was even worse. The storyline behind it was even very bad. But the match itself, again, you know, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, no, I don't think it was too bad. Uh, but it's just one of those that I remember because people say it's bad. But going back on it, and I think I don't know if it's the strength of the list already. But maybe because we've seen such good awful ones that we finally got a little something a little bit different here. Yeah. So Dan, does it get any more ridiculous than that kennel from hell match? Well, James, there's only one thing that is actually more ridiculous from that kennel from hell match, and that is Jinder Mahal beating Randy Orton for the world heavyweight championship. Well, we move on. It is our top three now. And uh, up next is from the 18th of August, 1993. In 1993, the sports entertainment world was shocked to its very core at WCW's Clash of the Champions 14. A grand unveiling was planned during Ric Flair's Flair for the Gold talk show segment. The dirtiest player in the game would assist Sting and the British Bulldog in revealing their mystery partner for the upcoming War Games match that would ultimately pit them against Sid, Vader and Harlem Heat. A pre-face paint Dustin Rhodes would complete the team of fan favourites. Sting proclaimed the mystery man would shock the world and he certainly did. Right, let me just stop you there. So, we are going to Clash of Champions 24, Wednesday the 18th of August, 1993. And let's watch, you just set it up perfectly there. Let's watch the moment the Shockmaster debuted on WCW. to shock the world because he is none other than the Shock Master! Right. The Shock Master! <laughs> I told you. Oh, God. I don't care who you are, boy! I don't give a damn who you are! So you're the man that rules the world. They call me the Shockmaster. You've ruled the world long enough, Sid Vicious. Get ready. Come on, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? Come and get me. Come after me, Sid. I'm ready. Along with Davy Boy, Sting, and Dusty Rhodes, we'll see you at the Fall Brawl at the War Games. Until then. The Shockmaster there comes busting through a wall with a terrible pyro, trips on his way in, loses his... Uh, Glitter-covered Star Wars Stormtrooper helmet. So introduced with the fanfare of a conquering king and clad in a, in a piecemeal outfit right off the clearance rack, the Shockmaster, a.k.a. Fred Ottman, 
previously WWE superstar Tugboat slash Typhoon, crashed through a wall between two sets of bargain basement pyro and promptly fell on his, fell on his face, losing his glitter glued, like you say, Star Wars Stormtrooper helmet in the process. The furry vest remained intact, Dan. The ridiculousness was confounded with the fact that there was zero crowd reaction, but plenty of reaction from the wrestlers in attendance. Flair is heard to say, oh God, as Ottoman walked towards the wrestlers and stood menacingly in an attempt to somehow rescue this. Booker T then asked, who is this motherfucker? (laughs) While Smith exclaimed, he fell flat on his ass. He fell fat on his fucking ass. Both of these comments were audible to the live audience and the television viewers, but would later be partially censored in future showings of the footage by the WWE. Sid Vicious reacted in rage to the shopmaster, attempting to smooth over the incident, despite generating zero crowd reaction and leaving the announcers speechless. WCW decided to continue with the segment, and the shopmaster was actually voiced by Ollie Anderson, who was in another room with a microphone. Perhaps, not surprisingly, the shopmaster didn't amount to much in WSW. Few would know exactly what the promotion had planned for the character, but in the end, the gimmick was short-lived and it was portrayed, quite rightly, as a klutz on TV until the shopmaster was ditched. <coughs> WCW attempted to salvage the incident by introducing a new character called the Super Shockmaster, also portrayed by Ottman. This, too, was short-lived. There are just some things... There ain't no coming back from, and the Shockmaster's debut on our screens is one of those. The debut immediately lodged itself in wrestling infamy, and the Shockmaster's legend has only grown over the last two decades. So the Shockmaster, Dan, when you saw it, what did you think? Did you, uh, could you believe how fucking stupid it is? Like? Well, even if he hadn't have fallen arse over tit, glitter-glued Star Wars Stormtrooper helmet, it still would have flopped. To add to this as well, we go to the Legends of Wrestling, which is one of my favourite shows on the WWE Network. It's round. And they're talking about worst characters, and it's a really good lineup. You've got Mick Foley, Dusty Rose, Michael Hayes, Pat Patterson, of course, with Gene Oakland as the host. Uh, and they talk through the moment in time because Dusty Rhodes was backstage. Uh, it, well, we'll hear what they say, and then we'll, we'll basically talk about it. Well, let's see if it's any better second time round. Say is our partner is going to shock the world because he is none other than the Shock Master. Right. The Shock Master. <laughs> I told you. Oh God. I don't care who you are, boy. I don't give a damn who you are! You're gonna have us! You're gonna have Van Vader! And we're gonna be breathing through your neck! Obviously, I was there. <laughs> obviously. Know, obviously. Who came up with and it? I did. I did. <laughs> but, but it was... It, Fred's a great guy. <laughs> of course we he We call is. him Uncle Fred. I tell you, I'm gonna tell you the story quickly. <laughs> Uncle Fred, early in the day, had busted through this wall as a shockmaster on a flare for the goal. Busted through the wall. Everything went good. David Crockett had somebody nail a two-by-four on the bottom of the new wall, which was not there when he busted through the wall the first, first time. time. Okay? The voice of shockmaster was Ole Anderson. 
he was off in another deal with a microphone. Also, the to voice say, of the black school yeah, kid. Yeah, I am the shockmaster. I'll come to kick somebody's ass. You know what I mean? Well, we're all sitting there laughing, and all of a sudden, the bomb went off, and Fr Uncle Fred, poor Uncle Fred, Uncle Fred bust through, and he hit that two before that David Crockett had put down no. there to sabotage my ass, had put there, and the shockmaster fell flat on his ass. The helmet rolled off. He fumbled for the helmet, and I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there, what we call a gorilla position, and I'm, I'm started to rumble with the left. They almost had to take me to the hospital. And as he fell, and he found the helmet, and he put it back on, and the summit stood up. <laughs> and all these, all these voice started cracking, and said, I'm the shockmaster. So at home, they're watching this on television, all the kids. Cody. Young Cody's there with all the kids. They're watching this, and the kids looked at it in fright, and they're laughing, and they looked at it in fright. And Cody turns around to all the other kids, and he says, I think that was Uncle Fred. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Uncle Fred. And if I'm laughing, the, the skit was over. Uncle Fred came out in front of the gorilla position table, and he knelt down and he flopped that helmet there. And he said, and you I can could, stick this. I couldn't, no, I couldn't even. <laughs> I couldn't even talk. He used the F word. He said, I effed this up, didn't I? I said, buddy, I laughed so hard. They took me, had to take me to my room. I mean, I was laughing so hard. You it should've... was an amazing moment, almost as, as amazing as asked the question. My other one was the gobbledygooker. When I see the gobbledygooker, you was involved in. I, I, I had uh, nothing to do with it. But we have a battle all the time, me and Vince, all the time. Which was the worst? We'll be drinking and having a cocktail together, and he'll say, Shockmaster was the worst. I say, no, the gobbledygooker was the worst. So Shockmaster Gobbledygooker had to be two of the top of the line, and Uncle Fred was a great hand here, became world tag team champions here. Him and Avalanche, you know, an Earthquake, oh, mm -hmm. did a great job. Hector Guerrero, but that, great guy. Yeah, but that, and, and Hector, great job. But, man, when he bust through and, and, and fell, and I think, I think he said, David Boy said, God rest his soul. I think David Boy said, he fell on his ass. <laughs> but, he, you know, what he did. How can you possibly carry on with the promo afterwards? You just been like, I know it's live, but cut to our break, fuck it. Well, when either of us fucks up inadvertently... We can't help but laugh and cry with laughter. Yeah. So fair play to them for trying to keep the game. You know, mainly the focus is on the shockingly awful Shockmaster. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, maybe on the other side of the camera, they're all just pissing themselves, like trying to regain them, regain their yeah, composure. Exactly, trying to get it back. So, yeah, they just it's Dusty Rose basically explaining more, wasn't it, Dan? Yeah, you know, he, he's saying that uh, his son, a young Cody Rhodes, was... Uh, at home watching it and he, he was watching it with his friends and he turned and said, you know, that's Uncle Fred. Yeah. And what had happened earlier is he did the rehearsal, we'd smashed through the wall, everything was fine. But what everybody didn't know is the announcer had put an extra bit of two by four down on the floor. Not not um Hacksaw Jim Duggan, no. the fella that retweeted me once time yes. before. The, the, not his two before. you or the WWE Network review? Me. Yeah, we said put a bit of two by four of the wood down and as you come through, he didn't know it was there, so he tripped over it. And that's basically what happened. Unfortunately, it was live, and it still gets remembered, like we say, so many decades on as well. But that was number three. Dan, what did you think of that moment? Um, it was shockingly awful. There's no coming back from it. You know, even the gimmick itself was awful. But the fact that he fell ass over to it, I think that just, that was the icing on top of the cake. Yeah. <laughs> 
Have you ever seen anything more ridiculous than that? Well, uh, now that you mention it, James, yes. The only thing that I've seen that's more ridiculous than that is Jinder Mahal beating Randy Orton for the World Heavyweight Championship. So we move on, and up next it is number two. And man, this is a big number two because... So up next, we are looking at the Brawl for All tournament. And this is one of my favourites. I absolutely love this moment. Throughout 1998, the WWF experienced a growth in roster size, but due to limited amount of TV time, a number of their more genuine tough guys were left without much to do. As a result, the idea for a legit tough guy tournament was, was banded about as a way to both utilise some of these men and capitalise on the recent interest in tough men contests around the country. Well, according to JBL, Vince Russo came up with the idea. Isn't that surprising? Uh, when Layfield wanted to create a hardcore wrestling division with Russo said he devised a tournament as a consequence of Bradshaw claiming he could beat anyone on the roster in a bar fight. Jim Cornette also reported that it was Russo's idea. Participation in the tournament was strictly voluntary. Tournament events and injuries up next. So we got the brawl. So anybody's never heard of this before? Dan, do you remember the brawl for all? It was in 1998. It happened. Uh, yeah, you know, sort of. I've I've seen bits of it. I, you know, I didn't follow it avidly. But uh, each match consisted of three one-minute rounds. Whichever wrestler connected with the most punches per round scored five points. In addition, a clean takedown scored five points, and a knockdown was worth ten. If a wrestler was knocked out, decided by an 8 count rather than a 10 count, the match ended. The matches were scored by ringside judges, including the legend that is Gorilla Monsoon. Well, according to Jim Cornette, Dr. Death Steve, William, Dr. Death Steve Williams was the WWF favourite to win the tournament, with the company looking towards a lucrative pay-per-view match between Williams and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Bob Holly claimed that Williams had already been paid the $100,000 prize money for his second round fight against Bart Gunn. And during the fight, Williams sustained a hamstring injury and was knocked out by Gunn. Bart Gunn went on to defeat Bradshaw by KO on the August 24, 1998 episode of Raw is War to win the tournament and the $75,000. Bradshaw received $25,000. Well, the WS most prominent tough guys at the time, Dan Severin and Ken Shamrock, and Ken Shamrock had little to no impact on the tournament. Severin defeated the Godfather in the first round, but then withdrew from the tournament, stating he had nothing to prove. In a radio interview, the Beast asserted that the WF at first had not allowed him or Shamrock to compete at all, and they removed Severin from the tournament after his first round victory over the Godfather. However, Steve Williams recalls Shamrock blacking out and Severin withdrawing because of his frustration at the rules and the idea of having to wear boxing gloves. Along with Williams, a number of other wrestlers sustained legit <coughs> Along with Williams, a number of other wrestlers sustained legitimate injuries during this tournament. The Godfather was injured, and Steve Blackman and Road Warrior Hawk were unable to work in usual WWF capacities for a while after. Savio Vega aggravated an old arm injury and would never work for the WWF again. Bracker sustained injuries to his knee and shoulder that led him to retire in 1999. 
Well, the reception wasn't much better because the fans in attendance instantly voiced their disapproval of the tournament. Chants of boring and we want wrestling were audible during the segments. Then WWF official Jim Connor has described the tournament as the stupidest thing that the WWF has ever done. He argued that they misjudged their appeal to the chip fighting and they would have their audience because the fighters were trained to work professional wrestling matches and not to fight. They risked both injury and the possibility that defeat would hurt their marketability. And he also criticised the WWF for failing to use the tournament to promote Bart Gunn as a new star wrestler. In the WWE documentary, The Attitude Era, Jim Ross stated that it was one of those ideas that looked really cool on paper, but JBL added the execution was a bad idea. Layfield also stated that nobody knew Bart Gunn was that good. Well, immediately prior for the brawl for all, uh, Holly had been a tag team called the New Midnight Express with Jim Connett as a manager. Uh, and they had won the NWA World Tag Team Championships after defeating the Headbangers in an episode of Raw. After winning the tournament, Bart Gunn feuded with Bob Holly, now known as Hardcore Holly, or now known as the guy who works independent. Gunn was later matched against a professional boxer, Butterbean, at WrestleMania 15 in another legitimate brawl for all match. This is what we're going to watch. Yes, it's one of my favourite moments. It is number two on the list. And the brawl for all, like we say, complete clusterfuck. WrestleMania 15, not known for being a great WrestleMania, of course, being invented by Steve Austin versus The Rock. But more famously, Dan, I think this is because it's my first WrestleMania watching live. And I think that means a lot to people listening at home. And we're going to watch this moment. And we see the judges as well. Look who it is. Kevin Rooney, Dan. Remember Wayne him? Rooney's dad? Uh, yeah. Look, he's got the same hair. This guy's Chuck Webner. He boxed Muhammad Ali and he wrestled Andre the Giant. Not many men can say that. Yeah, the movie Rocky based on his life, Dan. Wow. I know. And now look at, oh, Gorilla. Remember the, the Gorilla we saw, WrestleMania 3? That look in his eyes, he's uh, certainly getting on a little bit here. A legend, Gorilla Monsoon. And that's why it's called the Gorilla position as well, the backstage area. So look at the impact that he had as well. But we're not looking towards that. We're not looking to respect anybody. It's Butterbean versus Bart Gun. God damn it, WrestleMania. We're going to have a boxing match. Now, Bart Gunn's got a vicious left hand, and I say that, I would, I've said Bart Gunn be a dark horse here. it would be a bit of an upset. I think he could get the job done, Dan. Well, Butterbean, you know, he later went on to starring Jackass, having boxing matches with Johnny Knoxville inside an apartment store, and uh, uh, inside a department store, and actually knocked him out. I know, so we'll see if Bart Gunn has much more success. We have seen Butterbean, we have seen Butterbean boxing before, he was boxing Mark Mero at uh, In Your House Degeneration X back in 1997. And I remember an old, I don't know if it was Mega Driver PlayStation, a boxing Butterbean game where he was just huge character as well. So he's cult-like status, wouldn't it, Butterbean? He's not a, a serious fighter. Well, in, in a, from a certain point of view, I suppose. More kinds of those back in the day, like a circus freak, if you would. <laughs> not offence to Butterbean. If you're around and you're offended, then yeah, I think I could take you now. Come on. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> yeah, come on, big man. Here comes Bart Gun. Here comes Bart Gun. Bart Gun. Look at that. He's got his. He's focused, Dan. Why would you call yourself Bart the Hammer Gun? I call myself Bart the Machine Gun. Yeah, exactly. I'm Bart Tommy Gun. It's a Tommy Gun. It's a Tommy Gun. <laughs> Should come out like you come out of WrestleMania 22 at John Cena entrance. See him, Tommy Gun. See the side of a fucking yeah. automobile. Automobile. 
So, we all know the rules for this. Dan has explained it perfectly. It is our number two most ridiculous moment. We'd better be, be upset here. And, and just think how long it's taken. The entrances and everybody setting it up. I mean, it's taken a good 15 minutes of pay-per-view time just to get to this moment here. All the instructions are out of the way. We've seen what Bart Gunn can do. So, you know, the smart money is definitely on him. Yeah, I would say. I mean, Butterbean's coming into a wrestling ring right now, even though they are boxing. But still, he's got a focus on his face. He's got, he's got that look. Deadly left. Michael Cole saying this to us, but Art Gunn's got a deadly left hand. So the referee, the judges are there. Here we go. Butterbean with a couple of stiff lefts and rights. Working yeah. the midsection on Gunn. Yeah, Bart Gunn's just got to watch it, hasn't he? Well, he's absorbing. Oh, oh <laughs> stiff shot to the jaw there, oh. Butterbean, and he's knocked Gunn down. And I don't think Bart Gunn <laughs> knows where he is. Referee checking on him. Well, 30 seconds left. I think he'll be all right. Here we go. Oh! <laughs> and Bart Gunn has been sparked out by Butterbean. <laughs> oh! Remember that time at WrestleMania that that boxer knocked out the guy who was teaming up with Polly and Jim Cornette? That is redonkulous. Butterbean in 35 seconds. <laughs> wow, he didn't need a minute round to win. Good job they didn't have to put life on the ropes, didn't it? <laughs> well, people are wondering now, Bart Gunn's still not woken up from that punch. Here we go. We see the start of it. What went wrong, Dan? Tell me. Um... Well, you know, Bart Gunn obviously underestimated Butterbean. He managed to get up from the first onslaught. And, uh, yeah, that, I think that first right hand to the jaw definitely rocked Bart Gunn. Yeah. Fair play to Bart Gunn. You know, he managed to get himself up. Yeah. Butterbean <gasps> comes straight back in. Another right hand to the jaw, hitting its mark, knocking Gunn clean out. I don't <laughs> think Bart Gunn knows where he is. So seven months after winning the tournament, he's been put in a match with Butterbean. Now, if he was in such fine form during that... They took, gave him seven months off, if you know what I mean, and then put him against a professional boxer. Now, I'm not saying it's not hilarious. I'm just saying it's pretty dangerous if you're going to, you know what I mean, give a guy... Well, you know, they could have at least trained him a bit more, you know. He didn't look like he had his hands up to block, you know. Or was he just brought in to be knocked out? I don't know. It's... Well, it's, it's definitely punishment of some sorts. Oh, oh, did you see that? Oh, 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 I'm just, I'm just going on the... Oh! Bang! <laughs> Good night, Bart Gunn. <laughs> it, it is funny, though. And, uh, you, you know, you, you couldn't think of a more terrible match between the boxer and a wrestler, you know. Mayweather going against the big show, that was quite entertaining. Yeah, it was indeed. Yeah, And that was at WrestleMania, and then we had this. I mean, like I say, I think it is just punishment for Bart Gunn. Even Mike Tyson's appearance at WrestleMania wasn't yeah. as bad. Well, Bart Gunn is back to his feet as Butterbean celebrating. At least the fans enjoyed it, you know. Butterbean didn't even break a sweat for a fat guy. No, let's just see the bang. It's, it's way his head hit the turnbuckle oh. as well and then came back. Pow! <laughs> he just spun his jaw. Oh, uh, well. Yep, another knockout there. So, yes, Gunn was knocked out 35 seconds into the bout and was fired by the WF afterwards. Jim Cornette was critical of Gunn being placed in a match with a pro boxer and Bob Holly claimed that Gunn's inevitable loss to Butterbean was punishment for defeating the company's desired winner, Steve Williams. 
before we get to number one, we're going to do honourable mentions and we're going to look back on the top ten. For me, it would be something like Head Cheese, which would be like Chester McCheesington, who teamed up with Steve Blackman and Al Snow. But other ones, Dan? Um, you got Manator. Yeah, Manator came out with a big bull's head on Monday Night Raw. Gobbledygooker, which uh, we, we've just seen here, coming out after the uh, Butterbean knocking out Bart Gunn. Um, Isaac Yankum. Yes, Isaac Yankum, and the evil dentist, of course, who feuded with Bret Hart, turned out to be Kane. See, well, you know, that's someone that could actually recover from a terrible gimmick, or, you know, a very awful gimmick. Uh, head cheese, Mordecai. Yeah, Mordecai had one big match in uh, WWE, came out like the White Undertaker, didn't really last long. And uh, Hayden, Hayden, right? Hayden, Hayden, right? Also, Pete Rose, who got tombstone by Kane in two uh, WrestleManias in a row, uh, and and so much more. I think if this is successful, we will definitely have a uh, a most ridiculous rest part two. Uh, so we're just going to review the top ten before we move on to the battle of the top ten. Is anything more ridiculous than <laughs> Butterbean knocking out Bart Gunn at WrestleMania fifteen? Well, um, it's funny you should say that, James, because there is something more ridiculous than Butterbean knocking out Bart Gunn in 35 seconds, and that is Jinder Mahal beating Randy Orton for the World Heavyweight Championship. <laughs> We're going to go back now and run down 10 through to number 2, as I will introduce number 1. Uh, number 10 was Jeff Hardy uh, having a lot of accidents at the hands that turned out to be from his brother Jeff. Uh, number nine was the Blue Meanie, the Blue World Order. Uh, number eight was K-Fed beating John Cena. <laughs> yeah. Number seven was Judy Bagwell on a pole match. <laughs> number six was Paul Bearer and the Concrete Crypt. Yes. Number five was the Doomsday Hell in a Cell cage match <laughs> tower structure. Eight versus two. <laughs> eight versus two. Number four was the Kennel Cage... Vicious Rottweilers oh, that pissed all over the place. The bit and humping and shitting everywhere, yeah. Number three was the terrible Shockmaster coming in and falling ass over tit after having a terrible pyro. And it, and it gets better with time, yeah. <laughs> it does. Uh, number two was Butterbean versus Bart Gunn getting knocked out in 35 seconds. That's going to be embarrassing enough. Yeah, and the whole brawl for all as well. And uh, topping the list. Well, number one, Dan, who else? Who else? We have to go to WCW Capital Combat 1990, the 19th of May. The return of Robocop. Pro wrestling was no stranger to cozying up with the movie business, even if the favour wasn't always returned. Ted Turner's WCW ran Capital Combat a full year after Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Federation made its first foray into actual movie making with the Hulk Hogan vehicle No Holds Barred. And Ted Turner's promotion made inroads at bringing Robocop to the DC Armory in Washington, D.C., for May the 19th of 1990. Yes, yeah, so let's watch the moment before we talk about it more because it will add added excitement to it. 
Ladies and gentlemen, plus Sting will be here, RoboCop will be here, and all the horsemen. It's going to be a dynamic night. The greatest wrestling fans in the world are sitting in this building right here tonight. It's going to be live. It's going to be hot in Washington, D.C. We are ready. We hope you are. And now let's go to the ring in our first big event. Well, I think we're going to Gordon Soley. We should be about ready for the appearance of Sting. Forgive me for interrupting, but it looks like something's going on down here. The doors have opened. Security men are coming out. And it looks like, yes, it is indeed Sting and RoboCop are making their way out to the arena. Robocop blitzing as he comes out through the light. And he, well, I'll tell you one thing, four horsemen watch well, out on the Watch it. And well, ladies and gentlemen, we apologize for uh, for that. Uh, someone apparently has grabbed the camera. Let's go back to Gary Capetta. And ladies and gentlemen, the nation's number one law enforcer. He serves the public trust, protects the innocent. Upholds the law, the ultimate peace officer, RoboCop! Great ovation for RoboCop as he makes his way to the ring. He'll be coming into our camera view here. Now the... Wait a minute, the horsemen are already yeah. up. They just threw Sting in the cage. They just threw Sting in the cage that Cornette was in. Sting has been caged by the horsemen, but here comes RoboCop, Bob. Sid Vicious... Only Anderson, Arn Anderson, they all attacked him, threw him into the cage. One thing, but look at RoboCop now as he's approaching. He is not they're, back, they're backing away from him. He's not intimidated, Bob. RoboCop going right to the cage. This You're deal. Give me a bucket of balls when we get down with you. Oh, gosh, money. He's pulling that door right off the hinges. Uh -huh. Woohoo! What strength uh -huh. by RoboCop. Uh -huh. And now you want a piece of him, horseman. Look at Ole and Hart and Big Sid back up. And the expression on their faces say, what the heck have we got here? They say there'll be another day when, when Anderson, when Ole Anderson saw Robocop pull that, that steel door right off the cage, they said, we better wait for another day. Sting and Robocop have asserted themselves here. Sting looks phenomenal. He looks to be 100%, Bob. He and his buddy Robocop. I'll tell you, the horsemen wanted no part of either of those, especially the Stinger and Robocop. And now let's go to Tony Schiavone for the NWA. So we're backstage with Gordon and Solly, but something's happened, Dan. Well, they're introducing Sting. Oh, my God. That looked like Robocop coming through then. It can't be. Well, here comes Sting. And look at the fireworks going off. The Catherine wheels. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately for Sting, it's not the first time we've seen No, it is the first time we've seen him tonight. Sting makes it, after all those, you know, the countdown, then Sting finally made it into the two top threes. No wonder why he dyed his hair black and grew it out. Exactly. Should have been the tournament. What? Here comes Robocop. Oh, wait a minute. They just threw Sting in a cage and they're locking the door. What? Oh, Sid Vicious, again involved in one of these moments. You have five seconds to comply. <laughs> and Arn Anderson makes another appearance. Oh, my God. This is WWE at his best. Here comes Robocop. He's just going to get a gun out and shoot them all. The cage. Oh, my God. He just pulled that door off the hinges, Dan. He was bending the metal bars with his bare hands, James. A man with Robocop in his corner cannot be defeated. Oh, my God. And I think Robocop's going to shoot him. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. That's what Robocop's saying. My God, Dan. What a fantastic moment. What a tag team, them two. And Sting taller than Robocop. That's quite impressive. 
Then they go out have a few beers as well. What can you say about that, Dan? Well, Sting was on his way out, supposedly for a match. Had his entrance, got forced into a cage. Robocop then bent metal bars and ripped a cage door off its hinges with his bare hands. And then the two of them left together. WCW, even during its most successful run, was never not in something turmoil. Turner, whose empire had assumed full control of the promotion by 1990, was happy to be the absentee landlord, preferring his merry band of human action figures run by committee with minimum booking interference. But the business end always clashed with the nomadic nature of the wrestlers. Roving backs of man-clad children calling themselves the boys and living one gig to the next, forcing cross-promotion of this motion of this magnitude, especially something so glaringly wrong for the business, was certain to play out painfully, if it ever made its way to pay-per-view stage. Turner's suits, no doubt, thought they were onto something special. For its R-rated roots, Robocop had nevertheless been adopted by children as a visible band, spawning all manager of action figures, video games, and even an animated series. By the time Robocop 2, uh, <coughs> by the time Robocop 2, a film where a child's head is crushed by a drug-added gobot, was approaching release, the suits overseeing WCW thought it would thought it wise to appeal to a wider audience with a big-time Hollywood stunt. Sting, on the other hand, was WCW's younger, more agile answer to Hogan. Something of a cross between Hogan and Ultimate Warrior, but with actual wrestling talent. Sting would woo and strut into the ring with bleach blonde crew cut and that's very bright neon face paint. It was a gross violation of common sense at a time when wrestling, though it hadn't been viewed as legit sport in years, was still murky in regards to admitting its own lack of authenticity having wrestlers react realistically to a character both they and the audience perceived to be fictional was actually the clusterfuck. It was actually the clusterfuck it had every right to be. At a pay-per-view called Capital Combat in Washington, D.C., WCW decided there was nothing more American or patriotic than, a, than Alex Murphy tearing open a cage to save, tearing open a cage to save his bleach-blonde buddy. <coughs> It was a chemical reaction that could only be referred to as drugs without drugs. <laughs> uh, Robocop's presence heralded the beginnings of another dark period in WCW history, and Jim Hurd was eventually let go, and to this day, he's used as one of the worst minds in professional wrestling history. Flair got tired of playing second fiddle to robots and jump ship to the man's WWF, taking the headbreak title with him, uh, what had to be one of the most embarrassing coups, coups for a WCW perspective. And yet it was Robocop who suffered the worst. While by no means the straw that broke the camel's back, Cap signified the beginnings of a hex on the beloved character. Two sequels of, a, of marginal quality, middling TV series and deplorable Canadian TV movies would mire the character for the next two decades. Few mediums go worse together than science fiction and pro wrestling, like two positives equaling a negative. These two distinct models require suspension of disbelief from the able viewer. But an audience can only travel down the rabbit hole so far, especially when it begins pulling you in two completely different directions. Capital Combat serves as a glaring example of entertainment getting it wrong. Of course, WCW wouldn't learn their lesson, hosting Killer Doll Chucky on the show some eight <laughs> years later. So, yeah, one of these moments in time. 
that we can't believe. And Dan, have you seen anything more ridiculous than RoboCop ever? Uh, no, you beat me there, mate. <laughs> that is more ridiculous than beating Randy Orton. So our number one moment on the list is, of course, RoboCop. What did you think of the most ridiculous list then, down the top ten? I thought it was very entertaining. You know, there's there was a, a surprisingly good match. You know, the cage kennel match with the Rottweilers taking away, you know, the Rottweilers who was not scary whatsoever. Uh, you know, the match wasn't too bad, but all the other matches and moments... Were terrible, shocking, awful clusterfucks. Yeah, <laughs> they're ridiculous, right? This is what wrestling's all about. Yes, we have great action, but we do like the, the take case of the ridiculous. So, Dan, anything else about the top ten most ridiculous moments in wrestling? Uh, I'm a bit surprised you didn't have Jinder Mahal beating Randy Orton for the World <laughs> Heavyweight Championship. I think that would have gone easily at number two, but. You know, maybe next time. Well, exactly. If uh, if this is successful, we may have a part two down the road sometimes. But if it's like the controversial characters, you might have to wait a couple of years for it to come around again. But at least we've done it this time. Something a little bit different. The Domino Podcast always giving you difference every week. So let us know what everybody... What you think? You got something even more ridiculous? Well, let us know how. Well, go on Twitter at WW Network Review or at Vince McDan WWE. I'm at J underscore Rollins. We're on Facebook. Facebook, you can come and find our page and give us a like with a WWE Network Review podcast, or you can come and find me and add me as a friend. I am Vince McDan across all the Google platforms. Google Plus the WWE Network Review. Send us an email to our podcast at gmail dot com, and on YouTube where the new episodes are going up the same time as they are, and other places like SoundCloud on your phone. And on Stitcher Radio, Joe Spreaker, where we do our live shows. Our next weekend will be NXT and SummerSlam. I can officially announce that. Our next big, we announce that now, can't we? The next time we are going live. Yeah, our next big weekend, as it was, will be NXT in Brooklyn, along with SummerSlam as well. And we will have two live shows as well. So it's going to be massive. Listen to us on Spreaker. You can download all the old episodes as well on iTunes. You can subscribe, rate, review, and of course, like I could say download there. But that is it. I have been James Rollins, and as always, I was joined by Dan White. Thanks, everybody, and bye. Bye. bye.